Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. It's a game day. Jazz and Clippers tonight. Jazz won eight in a row. Jazz have won 19 out of 20. Can they make it 20 out of 21? You know, the interesting thing about this uh, streak now is it's gotten so long and the numbers change every day. And there's something about six of seven becoming seven of eight and seven of eight becoming eight of nine. It becomes really easy to mess the numbers up. And I've seen two media members mess them up in the last two days. And I know nobody's trying to mess it up. You know, you're not supposed to make mistakes, but people are human and they do and all that. And it's just, it's funny that there's so much winning people can't keep track of it. I mean, local people who want to keep track of it. Nobody wants to deliver the bad news on the local team. A lot of you out there, hey, it's great, they won. And it's easy to do that now because, hey, it's great, they won. But there's so much winning, people literally can't keep control of it. But it's got to end at some point because nobody keeps this pace up forever. And when it ends, what will it look like? Who will they lose to? Under what circumstances? And, uh, you know, how will they perform? And is it close? Where they run off the field or run off the court? Did they, uh, you know, how, how did it all go down? Now, it will be interesting against the Clippers tonight because – it's the regular season, so the stakes can't be that high. But we are still looking for any hint of truth, anything that we can get that will help us explain the playoffs. We'll take it. But if Kawhi Leonard and Paul George don't go, or if they go but they're on a minutes restriction, or you know, if it's the first game back and they don't play that well because they're rusty, you know, then it's just this big old asterisk next to it. But it's still the Jazz and the Clippers. And if nothing else, even if it feels a little hollow because the Clippers aren't really the Clippers, if when this is all said and done, we can look at who played and how many minutes they played and say, well, that's not really who they are, and they'll they'll be better if they get back to full speed in the playoffs and all that. Nonetheless, if the Jazz can find a way to win these two games, they'll have the tiebreaker on the Clippers, and they'll be up four and a half games on the Clippers in a shortened season. It'll feel like they're going to finish for the Clippers. Now, there's plenty of games and stuff can go wrong and teams can get hit with injuries and, you know, there's no guarantees. But this is a great chance to put the Clippers away, you know. And we're going to hear from uh, Andrew Greif. I almost called him Bill Greif. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how many of you are old enough to know who Bill Greif is or hardcore enough sports fans to know who he is. But he pitched for the Padres in four, for four years when I was a little kid. That's all I can do, not to call Andrew Greif, Bill Greif. Greif's not a name you hear every day. I wonder if that's his great uncle or something. Anyway, the uh, you know talking to uh, Andrew Greif about this and and the Clippers and you know how are they set up? And he said the same thing the PK said, which is you got these two LA teams and they've got these injuries and can the Jazz pull away? You can't lock up the one seed, but you can make yourself the overwhelming favorite. Because you get to a point where, yeah, they can catch you, but, and this happened last year, you know, the Lakers had the top spot in the West, and they could have fought for the top spot in the NBA, but then we didn't get the end of the season the way we were supposed to. But do you want to spend that much energy to catch the Bucks when you don't know if you're going to play them? And LeBron's won three of his four titles when they didn't have the best record in the NBA, so he doesn't need it. As it turned out, the Lakers... 
I mean, they were in the bubble, so there was no home court. <laughs> but they were the higher seed in every series because the teams in the East that had a better record didn't make it to the NBA Finals. Didn't even make it to the Conference Finals, I don't think. Um, so if the Jazz pull away from the Lakers and Clippers here, how much energy are the Lakers and Clippers going to put into catching them? How much does home court matter? And how much are these veteran teams with veterans have been hurt saying, let's get healthy and conserve our energy for the playoffs? Because let's be honest, as long as they hold off Phoenix and Portland and Denver for the two and three spots, I mean, the Lakers and Clippers, I don't think they care if they play six or seven. And then they would play each other. And they're in the same building. There's no travel. And it's California. I can't imagine there are going to be that many fans there. I mean, they'll be into vaccinations in June and July, so maybe there'll be some fans there. Home court will never, <laughs> will never be less important. It'll be like the bubble, essentially, for the Lakers and Clippers. They'll be in the same locker rooms. They'll all be sleeping in their own bed. There'll be no playing trips. And then why catch the Jazz? If it takes too much energy and you risk your health, it's not worth it. You know, Quinn Snyder says... We want to be playing our best basketball when the playoffs get here. Well, you have to be healthy to play your best basketball. So I'd say healthy one, best basketball two, realizing if you're not healthy, that's both of them, you know? And if you are healthy, even if you are playing your best basketball, maybe you can kind of play your way into it. It's playing B. I'd rather not have to do that. But you have a playoff series before that, and maybe you can gain a little bit of an edge and get on a roll. And for the Jazz, the whole thing will be, it will be if this plays out this way, well, how do you keep your edge? And what are you playing for? What's your motivation? And you don't want to lose your edge because, man, and, and man, PK has said this so many times, and I love to argue with him, but he's right, so I'll never argue with him about this. When you are in the middle of winning, it feels like it can never end. And when you start losing, it feels like you'll never get out of it. Stuff will always be jacked up. And the truth is, if you click on, and it's so easy now with, with the web, uh, you know, you just click on name of team, whoever, list seasons, you know, and you just get to Wikipedia and you can see how quickly things change and how quickly teams go from bad to mediocre to good and from good to mediocre to bad. And it happens much more quickly than you think to everybody. I mean, the Lakers are not that far removed from a seven-year run of missing the playoffs. It, it happens so quickly. So, interesting to see what happens here. If the Jazz can sweep, now if you split with the Clippers, then they're still two and a half back. And, and the Jazz is still have the tiebreaker, so I guess they'd have that. Um, and you got to get the first one before you can worry about the sweep. So we'll see what happens tonight. And, uh, and just the cat and mouse games that players play, that people play with players, uh, availability, and when they do go, how many minutes they go. I hesitate to, uh, I hesitate to get too far in front of that at any point now. Because teams love to be mysterious, and they love to play close to the vest. And stay with us coming up later this hour, and uh, we'll let you hear Andrew Greif. Man, that's like the first words out of his mouth about the Clippers. Man, do they like to play. They, nobody, nobody wants to hear take Kawhi. Kawhi's going to be a free agent. Players are signing shorter deals. The, the, their opt-out season is never that far away. And don't freak out about players putting opt-out in their deals because everybody does. It gives them two chances to hit free agency instead of one. If they have a bad year or an injury, then they can just pick the other year. And if they have a great year, they can just go. It just gives them a chance to maximize their next contract. I know people freaked out because Donovan put it in, but your, your agent would almost be committing malpractice if he didn't put it in at this point. You know, You might as well have it.
All right, we got a lot of basketball for you. And I want to start right now with Steve Cleveland. Uh, the whole thing's available wherever you get your podcast: Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, whatever. Uh, you can listen to the whole thing there. We talked to him for more than 20 minutes. Uh, but just a few minutes here where he's talking about the jazz. And the thing I want to bring up with him is there are people who are like, oh, they're so hot now. They're peaking too early. Well, as a coach, would, would you feel better if you'd gone, you know, 15 and 5 instead of 19 1? Hey, guys, we need to lose a game to make sure we don't peak yet. You know, how do you address that? And how do you feel about that when you look at 19 and 1? Uh, 18 and 1, 17 and 1, 20 and 1, you know, wherever this goes, wherever it's been. How are you supposed to look at this every day? Here's Steve Cleveland on that. Well, I, you know, I think every coaching staff knows uh, when teams are playing well. And, uh, and, and when you are, you know, you, uh, you kind of, I don't know, you, 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 you don't downplay it, but you want to just get, 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 keep guys doing, going forward and understanding their roles and doing what they're doing. Uh, but I, but I think the maturity of this team, the coaching staff, uh, there's a lot of really good things that we can say about the Jazz right now. But probably uh, none more than this is a group collectively that understand their roles, the system. Uh, they like each other. You know, a lot of the things that some teams struggle with, regardless of talent, and, and certainly there's significant talent here. But it's the collectiveness of Everybody understanding a role, everybody understanding a system, uh, you know, next man up when somebody's hurt, all of those things. So, I mean, we're as coaches, we are a little bit superstitious, but when things are good, you know, enjoy it and continue to get better. I, I think that it's when you're playing well and winning that there's even more of an attention to detail from coaches, staff to players, from players to players. They, they sense and know that this is something special this year. And, uh, they don't want to look back and have any regrets in terms of, well, we, we kind of got a little bit soft here. We didn't continue to, you know, execute our roles and play together. You know, you don't want to look back ever and see that. So you do the little things, more film, more conversations, tweaking things constantly to keep that, that momentum going. When, when you look at Utah, a Utah franchise isn't supposed to go 19-1. and one. It's not supposed to have multiple All-Stars. This is supposed to be a place that – is out in the middle of nowhere, and people don't like coming here, and it's cold, and it's snowy, and it's backwater, uh, but yet this team is just playing great ball probably as well as it can play. How much do you think all that stuff as far as this rep being this place that isn't a glamour spot can actually work to the advantage of the players in terms of, man, nobody really thinks you can get the job done in Salt Lake. So if you do get it done, Seems like it's wow. That would be something even more special than just getting it done. Actually, I think every guy in that team has has that mentality. I mean, you can just as you watch them. And I don't get to see them up close and personal as, as you do, the two of you do. But um, I, I think that all of those things play into it. And I think coaching staffs take advantage of that. I think leaders and teams of, of players they understand that uh, you know this isn't a media capital in the country. There's not going to be a great deal of attention. However, it's hard to ignore 19 out of 20. <laughs> and I, you know, one of the things that I enjoy, I mean, I listen to a lot of serious NBA radio and just because I enjoy it. And, uh, and I, I think Utah Jazz have everybody's attention. They understand it. But there's always, in fact, I heard Thurl Bailey on, uh, on the radio yesterday. And, you know, the question always comes up, well, 
let's see how they do the Lakers. Can they beat the Lakers? You know, or is it the Clippers? There's always that question. Uh, do they have the ability at the next level to, to what those are things like Thurl said, those are things you don't know. But at the end of the day, I think his comments were, were, were really, really good. It's like, there, there's no one in this organization that doesn't believe that they can't beat anyone. And, and that's where their mindset is, but you still have to do it, but they're just looking for things to talk about because in terms of the play, uh, when people are injured, guys stepping up, uh, you know, the jazz is probably the greatest stretch of NBA basketball in the history of, of the organization, I would think. Uh, and so that's, there's nothing but good that comes from that. And, and this is a mature group. It's not a, a, a young group where you have to, a bunch of rookies or you have guys that, where their priorities aren't straight. I mean, there are a lot of things impacting this, this league this year. I mean, there really are. I mean, from COVID to start with and all the protocols, uh, literally no home court advantage, uh, games postponed, teams with injuries, quick turnarounds, playing more games than they've ever played in a short period of time. All of these things are impacting teams in the league. And yet they don't seem to be impacting the Jazz. I mean, Conley goes down for five games, and Ingles at three out of four games scores in the mid-20s. I mean, people are stepping up. So it seems to me that all the outside distractions and issues and challenges haven't impacted the Jazz. They've just kind of gone – all right, next man up, let's go forward, let's, let's deal with this. Whereas some teams have been just devastated and, by the protocol. And, and literally guys aren't playing night in and night out, and it's hard to get that continuity. And the Jazz have experienced some of that as well. But the maturity of this team, the experience of this team, they've kind of got through all of that. And it really, you just see a team that seems to be oblivious to all those things I just talked about that impact team success. And, and I think that's just – the fact that they've got a wonderful system in place, they've got good coaches, and they've got mature players that uh, know their roles, and uh, you can just plug one guy in for another, and, and they understand that. And when you have under, when you have players understanding their roles, uh, I don't care what level, high school, junior high, whatever, you're going to be better. And this team has that, and uh, then that just increases the confidence of every person in the program. There's Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. If you want to hear the whole conversation, you can get it wherever you get podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. Uh, it's out there. You can find it. Coming up next, how about a little more basketball? Who's in favor? Can I see a show of hands? Uh, coming up next, Andrew Greif, LA Times beat writer covering the Clippers. He's next. Jazz and Clippers tonight. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. Andrew Greif, beat writer for the LA Clippers, writes for the LA Times. He joined us 
yesterday. Now, there'll be a few last nights in there. Uh, the Clippers went back-to-back on Sunday and Monday and one without their stars. Uh, so some of the time references are a little off. But with the Jazz playing the Clippers tonight, thought you'd want to hear his take. And uh, at the, stay tuned for at the end where his take on the Jazz and what he's seen from them. Stay with us. Here's all the way through this interview. Here's uh, Andrew Greif with PKNI. Andrew, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on again. We are curious about the health of the Clippers. And I don't know what you can tell us because they probably don't want to come completely clean with the L.A. Times. And yet you have your ways. What, what do you know? What can you tell us about uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George? Yeah, well, these guys in particular, they play everything really close to the vest. Um, they, you know, Kawhi has always for a long time, you know, wanted his health to be paramount. And so Clippers do not really disclose much until they really have to about his health. But what Ty Lue did say last night before they beat the Heat without four starters somehow um, was that they, uh, they, they're working back to normal, that those guys, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, are getting close to, closer to normal. Now, what that means for a timeline, still unclear. But I, there are encouraging signs with PG in particular. Uh, before Sunday night's game, uh, when they played and they won, he was out in the court working out before tip-off. It wasn't uh, you know like a fully active workout, but he was getting up shots. He wasn't doing a lot of dribbling, a lot of side-by-sides, what I mean. He's getting up shots, uh, making a healthy clip of them. So the fact that he his swelling in his toe and his right foot has gone down enough to get him uh, back into sneakers, back into shooting form, is at least encouraging in that respect. So Clippers, you know, going big picture as far as what's going to be hopefully for them in the postseason, made a ton of changes over the offseason, you know, coaches and, and some players. How's it all coming together? I think that this week, the, the way they've beaten um, the last two teams while being shorthanded, I think it's an interesting time to, to think about that because um, they really, when they made that move, wanted team, a team to get back to the way it played in 2019, 2018, 2019, when it was um, an underdog, kind of like they, they prided themselves on being scrappy and playing through, being hard-nosed and having good young players. That's what they wanted this team to get back to, and they felt like they'd lost that uh, in the last year. So that's what I think that, especially the way they beat Miami last night, again, without four starters, um, shooting the lights out, contributions from a number of young players, Amir Coffey, Terrence Mann. Um, that I think is a really, I, I, I think if you were to give everyone like truth serum around the Clippers headquarters today, they'd feel really good about what they, what they just saw because it's sort of like kind of the dream of when they let Doc go. Um, they wanted these guys to play hard without excuses and how, you know, young guys really shine. And the Vita Zubats have been playing. He's still a backup center, but he's playing the majority of fourth quarter minutes this year. And I think from his form and the other guys, they've really gotten the like of what they see. Andrew Greif joining us, Clippers writer for the LA Times. Uh, and I know they let the coach go, and it's always easier to blame the coach than it is the star player. But, man, from a distance, it looked like they lost that mojo they had a couple years ago because they brought in stars, and it changes the chemistry in the locker room. And Kawhi doesn't seem like an outgoing, warm guy, and maybe he is, and maybe he just hides it from the public and hides it from the media. But it was like it seemed like his presence was a bigger part of this deal. I mean, the other guys, when he's not there, they can do this, and they did it two years ago, and I realize the supporting cast isn't exactly the same, but is Kawhi really cemented to the rest of the group, I guess? That's something that has been 
really helpful to hear from Serge Ibaka about. Because remember, they played together and they won together championship mm -hmm. in, in Toronto. They know each other really well. Um, they've, they've kind of understand what it takes to win big. And Serge had said that when he got here in training camp in December, he told Kawhi, like, you are the leader. You need to be the guy whose example we follow. Like, that's, like, you know, you have to be a little more vocal in that way and recognize that, like, um, you are going to be able to do kind of your own thing a lot of ways um, because everyone really caters to, you know, what obviously a free agent to be of his caliber will want to do. But, you know, you also have to set an example. Um, and we asked Serge again two nights ago about, you know, just what have you seen from Kawhi kind of um, two months in? And he said that he's been much more vocal, um, much more willing to engage. He said he feels like Kawhi's learned from last year's failures of the team. Um, and so that is one kind of piece of the development where, you know, it's not just Serge. Other teammates have said that Kawhi definitely has been more um, – Kind of, I guess, less at a remove from the rest of the team in terms of the day-to-day. -day, I don't know if motivation is the right word, but just to kind of the encouragement, the talking. Um, and, and I think that is he is more of that guy than his public persona would suggest. But even to, even behind the scenes, people say that he's been uh, kind of more outspoken this year than ever before. Where do you see weaknesses on this team? Um, you know, I think that one of the things that always gets pointed at is their, their kind of lack of quote-unquote pure point guard. Um, I tend to be a little, a little skeptical about it just because there are a lot of opportunities. But when Kawhi, Kawhi and Paul George are playing well, the ball is in their hand uh, almost all the time. And they, they both have usage rates above 30%, I believe, this year. Um, they are Paul George is the best distributor on the team, and it's really worked out well for them so far. So given kind of what they have to deal, given their financial flexibility, it's going to be hard for them, I think, to really go out and get a bunch of upgrades from Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams. Um, they're, you know, they're kind of their starting guard. And they're obviously their lead reserve guard. Um, so I think that that is one area that is kind of pointed to as, well, they need someone to initiate the offense more often when things get bogged down. But the reality of how you would go out and get that, I think, is a little hard. Um, some people have talked about, too, okay, is the big man. They need a third big man. Could Evita Zubats, you know, be that guy down the stretch in playoff games again? How is Serge Ibaka going to hold up? Um, both those guys in the last week have played their best basketball of the season. So that it's not a, a long-term fix necessarily. You don't really know how that will pan out in the playoffs. But um, that's been an encouraging thing, too, for the Clippers, that kind of the big man depth um, seems to be working out pretty well right now. So there are plenty of people here who wonder what the rest of the world thinks of the Jazz. What does your part of the rest of the world think about the Jazz? I think they're just incredibly impressive. You know, I watched last night's game um, against the Sixers, and uh, it was just wrapped. You know, it's just like cause you don't get a whole lot of time sometimes to be able to watch the rest of the teams on the league uh, where you're just kind of head in the sand covering your own team. But I try to watch the Jazz every opportunity I get. I just think that it's so the defense is so impressive. Um, the ball movement, especially a couple nights ago, and obviously there were like the highlight reels where you know, guys are throwing it behind the back and then whipping it across the court. Those things stand out, but I think that there's just so much more that happens um, play to play with the ball movement that I'm just really impressed with. Obviously, the way Jordan Clarkson's playing is, is you know uh, unbelievable, and so I, I'm just really impressed. Like all the way down, Royce O'Neal just seems to give like he gives big minutes, uh, big shots. This seems like a very extremely complete, very a team that really knows what it is, and I think that's 
maybe I'm wrong on that, but it just it just seems to be a team that knows exactly what it what it does well, exactly what it has to do to win. And in this season, when there's so much uncertainty and there's so little continuity for teams because of testing protocols or other absences or compressed schedule or attrition, I think it's extremely valuable to know exactly what you are as a team. And Utah seems to at least know that down to a T. I think from the Jazz perspective, I think it's important to finish with that one seed. So if it plays out, you have the Clippers and Lakers going against each other in the second round. And then if you were to win, you would obviously face the winner in the conference final. Uh, How much do you think the Clippers care about playoff positioning? In the past, it was always, let's just get to the postseason healthy. Because there was a confidence that... You know, whatever the postseason path, obviously you want to have the most favorable one possible, but it was always the thought that as long as this roster can get their healthy, um, they feel good about their chances. You know, they just thought that the health is the key. Because if, if you, you, don't have, you don't have, you know, your top seven in, in about pretty good shape, then you're, you're sunk almost no matter what you do. Um, this team, I don't know, is quite as deep as last year's Clippers when they had the league top scoring bench. Um, not the case this year. Um, they started off slowly with the bench. Um, you know, you've you had Nick Batum work in. He's been really good. Uh, Luke Kennard has some questions. So I think they just really want to make sure that they get to the playoffs um, with the roster feeling like, okay, these guys are good. We can play them in the heavy minutes. We don't have to worry about um, nagging injuries. But, the, you know, obviously the West, let's play with the way the Lakers and the uh, Jazz are playing. You want to be able to skip one of those if possible. So I, I don't doubt that they, if it came down to it, um, they would love to grab that one seed. But I'm just curious, obviously, with Anthony Davis out, um, you know, and the Clippers shorthanded, like how much of a buffer Utah can really put between itself and the rest of the West, the other, you know, two arguably best teams in the West in the next two or three weeks with, with Anthony Davis being reevaluated. That's something that I'm really curious about. Like how much, how hard will it be to truly chase down the Jazz? Andrew Greif, L.A. Clippers writer for the L.A. Times, joining us. So as I see these uh, Clippers stars missing games, uh, there's there's a part of me that loves a good conspiracy theory. Isn't there part of all of us that loves a good conspiracy theory? Is there any chance they're kind of underlining these uh, injuries and, you know, when in doubt, have a guy sit out, partly because you want him to get healthy and partly because then you can pull him out of the All-Star game without getting fined? Um, I don't I don't necessarily think so. I think that they, again, they just rather have these guys. This is a compressed season. Um, you know, what you do, you have little, you have less ground to make up on other teams for that positioning. So I, I don't know if that would be the reason why. I mean, Patrick Beverly definitely was held out last night against Miami for rest. He's healthy, but because of his injury history, he just came off a stretch where he missed eight straight games with a knee injury. They're no longer playing him in back-to-backs, it sounds like. That's what Ty Lue had said last night, that, it's a cautious thing. Um, they played Sunday. They played Monday. He played excellent Sunday, and they said, you're just not going to play anymore Sunday. Uh, excuse me, Monday. So that was an example of that. Now, he's not in the running for the All-Star game. Um, Kawhi Leonard had come out and said that the NBA was putting you know, money over health. That was uh, a pretty remarkable thing to hear him say. So you know how he feels about it. But I, I guess I would be surprised um, if – this sort of, you know, holding a guy like him, like of his caliber out for multiple games would be with that in mind. How much of a difference in, in what areas is Ty Lu making? He is someone when he was hired that the Clippers really felt like he would be an upgrade in his communication with guys. Um, one, because he is, 
younger. Um, he's not that far removed from his playing career. It's been a decade, but um, a lot of guys still remember him um, from being the player. You know, Marcus Morris has known him since he was much younger, coming up in Philly. Um, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have had a previous relationship with him. So there's, there was already built-in trust there, and even Marcus said it last night, that last year he felt like he was in no man's land in terms of what his role was, what was needed from him. And Ty was very explicit very early on of, this is what we need. Um, in fact, you know, he's basically said, you're me coming off the bench. Nick Batum is working so well. Like, and Marcus said, okay, let's do it. So that's, that's one area where people feel like he is um, uh, kind of better at defining roles and better at just keeping people on the same page. I think the hallmark of his, uh, what you're going to see on the court is the ball movement. Um, the, the passes are something that um, is a big deal for the Clippers. They really felt like Last year's offense was way too star dependent. You know, if, if Kawhi and Paul George didn't generate it, uh, then they were stuck. And that's where the, the the point guard issue really came up last year because they really did need someone who could get things moving when it wasn't just the stars. But it was so star dependent um, that it was it was a problem in the end. This year, obviously, things still run through Kawhi and Paul George, but. Um, you've seen a much bigger emphasis on getting the ball moving around, you know, getting into the paint, kicking out. The paint touches are probably the top category um, of statistic that Ty Lue tracks the most because he feels like once you get into the paint, you can open up everything from there. And so you're seeing a lot of kickout passes for threes, and that's why they are the league's top shooting three-point team. Um, so that's where I think that everything is still going to run through the two stars uh, whenever they get back. Um, but what the the hallmark of the Ty Lue era is, I would say, is that um, it really doesn't end with those two guys. It starts with them, it doesn't end with them. Is there anybody in the West, whether it is Phoenix, uh, Denver, if they were to prove, anybody who you think could get into that 4-5 or five series and be a problem for whoever the one seed ends up being, whether it's the Jazz, the Lakers, or the Clippers? I, both those teams you just mentioned are, are teams that um, I, I still think that whether they could, you know, really knock out a team of one Seattle now, but uh, I guess we're deep enough into the year where you can start sort of start to take stock of a team's strengths and weaknesses, and those teams are not, I guess, um, as strong as I thought maybe the first week of the season, first two weeks. Um, but I would I would not bet against Chris Paul. You know, he's a guy who's just a winner, and so I like that matchup if you're if you're the Suns and you're going in, you're saying. It's bubble 2.0. Like, we have nothing to lose. Let's just go out there and have fun. That's a dangerous team. They still remember what they did in the bubble last year, going 8-0. So I think that that would be a team that you would want to avoid. Denver is is something the Clippers would probably want to avoid just because of, you know, last year they've seen how those matchups can work against them. Um, It's a different team, obviously, but I really still like what Denver can do. Um, Their their top-end talent, their ceiling is so good with Jokic at at the core of it that yeah, that's a team that I don't think anyone wants to see. And the Clippers, although they're not going to have the same matchup problems that really sank them against the Nuggets, you know, they don't have Montrez Harrell to match up against Jokic for minutes on end and get picked apart for minutes on end. Um, it's still something where you know you're gonna have to deal with Jamal Murray. You're still gonna have to deal with Michael Porter Jr. You're gonna have to deal with Jokic, and that's gonna be really hard no matter what. He's Andrew Greif, L.A. Clipper writer for the L.A. Times. Andrew, we appreciate the time. Thanks for hopping on with us. Thank you, Robert. There's Andrew Greif with PK and I on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. He's the L.A. Clippers beat writer writing for the L.A. Times. When we come back, 
PK and I talking a little football. We had Aaron Roderick on talking about BYU football and how things set up is, uh, I don't know, it doesn't exactly look like spring football this week, but um, hey, let's hear it for indoor practice facilities, right? All right. So as BYU football gets going, uh, our thoughts on the Cougars, based on our conversation with Aaron Roderick, PK and I will get to that next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. And now, for something completely different. There's been an... Just a mountain of basketball talk here, but... It's about time we talked RSL. Spring football is on the horizon. Uh, well, yeah, that's RSL, right? We It does. <laughs> spring football. <laughs> With an April start. April is spring, am I right? And it is yes. football around the world. It is only soccer here. It is football everywhere else. So, Bobby Wood acquisition. Debate it. Ready? Go. Well, you know, he came uh, to Houston, and he's been a, a critical component for the Rockets. Oh, wait, that's Christian Wood. My bad. Close, but not the right guy. Uh, we did want to spend a few minutes talking BYU here. Spring football is on the horizon. We had Aaron Roderick on the show, BYU's new offensive coordinator. Now, he's been an OC before, obviously, at Utah. How many wins over four years, PK? 39? I think when he – well, he uh, he says when he was coordinating the – Calling plays, Call they won thirty nine games. Right. People think that he wasn't good enough, but uh, the the numbers don't show that. Right. So now he's at BYU, where he's been in charge of the passing game, and now he is the offense coordinator. Now that Jeff Grimes has moved on to greener pastures, big cash at Baylor. Who wears green? So we had him on, and he hit on several topics. And the one topic is always the most interesting. It actually got a funny response out of when you're saying, well. It's always more interesting in higher stakes when uh, when you, you're looking for a new starting quarterback. And he's like, yeah, for me too. Because <laughs> OCs do tend to live, you know, they get hired and fired on quarterbacks. <laughs> you get the wrong quarterback, it's pretty easy to lose your gig. So uh, why, lay them out in the order you see them here because they've got a guy who's been in the program playing, a guy who's been in the program not playing, and a guy who uh, – it's kind of been in the program, but only loosely and yet very importantly, according to A-Rod. And then anybody else you want to throw in throw in the ring, because you do have time to give guys their shot. Not a lot of time, as A-Rod said, but you do have time. Well, they got four guys that are in the room, and I think at the start, all of them are going to get a shot. And then it's up to you. That's all you can ask for, is you getting a shot. Now, I can interject my personal opinion, which is sort of mixed with conversations here and there. There hasn't been a need to really discuss who's going to be the quarterback, right? There was really no need to discuss that last season because you had Zach Wilson. He's going to go high in the draft, maybe go number two behind Lawrence. That'd be awesome for that kid if he goes there, goes to the Jets. We'll see how that plays out and all. So, my conversations with multiple people weren't anything that led me to believe 
this is where they're going. So I want to make sure that I'm abundantly clear that, you know, this is like 80%, maybe 85% me. Uh, So take that for what it's worth. And I'm just going on my instinct combined with a little information. But I think at the start, I think they want Jaron Hall to win it. I've heard that. they believe in his ability. I've heard that, but i got to say, it is a big leap of faith for me to think that that guy's going to start 12 games. And maybe he will. Well, I said the first game. I didn't say right, 12. Right. So even if he's the starting quarterback, if you tell me he's the starting quarterback and he's going to win it, I am super interested in who the backup quarterback is. <laughs> I mean, as we just saw, the Utes last year had a quarterback battle, and a guy who's a backup quarterback ended up taking you know 90% of the snaps. He didn't start the season, and actually he didn't finish the season either. But in between, he took the vast majority of the snaps, for better or worse. And yeah. there's plenty of I both. think that's where BYU has its strength, and they've had that strength now for a few years in terms of depth. Uh, so I think they know what they got in Romney. Solid, very solid. Can win you games. Won you Boise two years ago, and that was the Boise's only loss. So that was a really good team, obviously. So I'm not downgrading Baylor-Romney by any stretch. He's right. solid can make the play for you. I think they know what they have there, but I think they're intrigued by Jaron Hall. Then you got this hot shot recruit, and I could argue uh, the highest recruited quarterback since, I don't know, Ben Olsen or Jake Heaps, I guess, because Heaps came after uh, Olsen, whatever that means. In in the case of Olsen and Heaps, it didn't mean anything. (laughs) So take that for what it's worth. But Conover being a Phoenix area kid, uh, I, know, I know people, and I've talked to them about him, and, and they're very, very excited. The pandemic uh, has been such a downer for everybody, but for him, you know, with the mission thing, he it's not like he uh, didn't want to serve, He but they had to come home and all that stuff because they were gathering missionaries. We saw that story last spring. So he was with the team, and A-Rod said that put him a substantial – leg up on himself not necessarily on the competition because he wasn't supposed to be there i think he was supposed to get home in january just last month well he was with the team he joined the team a little late this past season so being around the team in the meetings and practicing running scout team this and that that gave him an opportunity to allow himself to be in a much better position to compete starting spring ball and that's important not necessarily competing better against the other dudes, although obviously it will, but just having him be in the program. So I think that at some point, I don't know when, my guess is Conover is going to be a starting quarterback for BYU. Is it uh, two years? Is it three years? Is it one year? Is it four years or three-plus years? I'm not sure on any of that because that's what the competition is going to decide when they get out on the field. So I hear all that, and I got to say that, um, and, and I don't know any of these guys personally. Um, you know, the pandemic times, you just don't, you, we're just not around them. Plus, you know, there's this massive gap in age between us and them, so we're not going to be hanging out with them. So I just say this from a perspective of watching games and, you know, people we've known back when we played high school sports. Um, I think it really sucks to be the guy who has a good track record, and then we look at him like, he's solid. And you're sitting over there going, and first off, I think what you say is all true. So I'm not, I'm just, it sucks. You're kind of like, you know, I haven't gotten that many chances, but 
we beat Boise State, and they were really good. And we took them down. I can do this. I, I need a shot week in and week out. And yet, you're right, he may not get it. He may not he He'll may get not a be shot, guy. but he's uh, got to prove he can. he's the best. Uh, I think he's got to prove he's hands down slam dunk best because some of the other guys look like they have upside and may get the job on upside. I mean, when you really prove that, it as a so. quarterback, don't you have to prove it in games, though? Because you're not live, and we've seen with plenty of quarterbacks, they're different when they're not live. Yeah, I mean, you have to prove it, and you have to prove it week to week. Right, and he'd I mean, like that chance. Make me the, the starting quarterback, and I'll prove it week to week. I think he's, he's going to get that chance. He's going to have to prove it in practice. You don't think and, he's, and he's not out of the running by any stretch. To more potential, right? No. But you also didn't pick him, and I've heard that from people other than you. I think there's truth to it. I think Hall's got a great chance to win the job, and I think they like him, and I think he's got upside that we have seen the briefest glimpses of. You know, everybody likes to have a running quarterback, and he he can do it, and he can beat people with his legs. And I don't trust that in the NFL very much. Um, it leads to injuries, and we saw Mahomes get a concussion in the playoffs. But I think at the college level, you can go a long way with that. So I get why coaches are in love with that. I think just about every quarterback has to be mobile these mm-hmm. days. I mean, you look at Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson and Justin Fields. Now, those are the, the three that I believe are going to go one, two, and three. And all of those kids can move. So... I don't know. The way the game is played now, and we had Steve Young on a while back, and he was talking about how uh, guys like Wilson are prepared more to go and have success in the NFL early because the colleges in the NFL, uh, a lot of the stuff is the same now. They're similar. And so moving around is something that is important, not necessarily running the option. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about... Uh, being able to escape Russell Wilson style and he can get you the first down because uh, the play broke down whatever he scrambled had to go left right circle back we've all seen him I mean he's he's capable of running 40 yards before he even gets to the line of scrimmage and we saw Mahomes actually do that in the Super Bowl and get those passes off as he kept going. He, he couldn't run because he was going so far back, but just the athletic ability to get the passes off were unto themselves amazing. Now, they were incompletions. One of them was a drop, but I think that you've got to be able to move. And so that's one of the things that obviously is going to play to Jaron Hall's strength is his ability to move. But, you know, they know that he has – concussion issues and has other injuries and they told him this past season take the season off because they knew they see they they couched it as a quarterback competition last year but it wasn't in training camp but it was not no (laughs) i I was told early on probably the second week this thing is over we're not announcing it but this baby is over he is our guy speaking of wilson and he's heads and shoulders above Mm -hmm. everybody else so uh, they they told they told Hall, hey, you, you, the best you're going to be a backup. Get yourself healthy, and so he did. And now he's ready to go. That, the great thing about BYU's position is they're dealing from a position of strength. Remember when the Utes went into the conference, the Pac-12, they had a a, a wounded Jordan win yeah. and nobody else. Yeah, was... they they weren't dealing from a position of strength at that quarterback spot. 
And, uh, you know, they've changed that, obviously. And here, BYU, I think, is dealing from a position of strength. The good thing about it is whoever they choose is very much going to be capable of winning you games. Well, that is true, and that is a that is a good position to be in. Uh, but I think the flip side of that, the way college football works now, is if you get yourself into that position, it's an open question how long you can stay in that position. Because you know, one guy gets hurt and one guy transfers, and you go from being three or four deep to being one or two. And how good is two? And even if he's good, does he have any experience? And are you now investing in a future season because you can't have the big year this yeah, year? Yeah, I don't think they're going to do that, though. I don't think. See, that's. Uh, I wanted to expound on what you, you said about potential, because if you did that, you could very well start Connor over who hasn't taken a snap Mm -hmm. and I don't think they're going to do that if he wins the job it's because they believe he's the best candidate to win the job for them today today of course being the first game when that comes uh, in several months I I think that they're they're looking to continue you put together a couple of solid seasons then you got all sorts of momentum you lay an egg this season and you go another seven and six then it's like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, you had an NFL quarterback and a cake schedule, so of course. And that's not going to eliminate the buzz, but it's going to reduce it, and they want to continue the buzz. And when you think about it, this is the only form of buzz that's legal with BYU. hey You just came up with that right in the middle of it, right in the middle of a sentence. Hey, wait a minute. Since I've used the word buzz, let's veer over here. You know me well. <laughs> the question is, how do they get to wins 8, 9, and 10? Because uh-huh. there are uh-huh. rewards that come with each one of them. Uh-huh. And just because you can't get to 10, well, then then give me 9 because I don't want to have to explain 7 and 6. I'd rather explain 9 than 7. For sure. And so every one of those matters. And the other thing is you can just look at the schedule. And it's like you're not just piling up wins. You're going to take down some good teams. You're going to beat teams probably in an area you recruit. I mean, the, the first three games they play, they're in their recruiting footprint. I mean, if you had to rank states for them, you know, Utah, California, Arizona, Texas, different people will rank them in different orders. But how are they not one, two, three, and four? Even Hawaii isn't in the top four anymore. I think Texas is more, and Arizona are more important to them than Hawaii. Uh, They're going to get more players out of those states. Well, probably, yeah. yeah. Especially now yeah. everybody and their dog goes to Hawaii. <clears throat> right. So if you're opening up with, oh, yeah, back in the day, I mean, they were it, right? You went to BYU or you went to Hawaii. And then you went to BYU, Utah, or Hawaii. And now it's wide open. Oregon's gotten Heisman Trophy winners out of there. Alabama's gotten a Heisman Trophy winner out of there. Everybody's in there now. Mm-hmm. So for BYU, you open it up with the Utes and Arizona and Arizona State. That's the first quarter of the schedule. That's right. Yep. And you're, you don't want to concede anything. You want to be ready to win football games from game one. And if you're going to go 9-3 and three on this 12-game schedule, well, you're going to have to beat some high-profile teams. They've only got... I don't know. Yeah, however you count it up, depending on whether you root for them or for someone else or literally root against them, but they don't have more than two, three, or four gimmies on the schedule. You know, there's there's some level there, so they have to win some good games. For sure, yeah. And get off to a good start against three Pac-12 teams. So, so yeah, I buy it. They don't really want to invest in somebody here. They want to go out and have a chance to win. Game number one. And furthermore, they got the guys on the roster that we know. If they if they just plug in Romney, they've got a chance to win. Now, can one of the other guys give them a better chance to win? And that's the question that they try to answer starting in spring ball. Yes. But Romney, exactly. they've already seen it on the field, lights on, people in the stands, actually, believe it or not, going back two years. So, right. 
You know, well, I mean, that, there's something to be said for that. I'm not dismissing this fellow by any stretch. All right, we will leave it there until they start sorting things out with uh, spring ball and then later on summer practices and some scrimmages. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, what is trending? All the headlines. Got college hoops tonight. Got some NBA action to get to tonight with the Jazz and the Clippers and the night in the NBA last night. We'll do it all next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Rudy Gobert, top of the key, jabs right, puts it on the deck with the left, gets by Ibaka, to the rim, two-hand hammer. Rudy, don't do me like that. Gets it back from O'Neal, left side, finds favors at the top. Now trying to find Donovan, backdoor cut, Donovan going to the window, he packed it! Oh, he did it with a little filth, with a little nasty, with a little Donovan! Donovan bounces it back to the corner, it's Mike Conley, right corner, three, There's David Locke on the call. Highlights from the last time the Jazz played the Clippers. That was early in the year. Jazz won that one. They meet again tonight. 8 o'clock. It's back-to-back. Two games, three days. They'll play again Friday night. Well, many people will play. Some will not, and some are questionable. Paul George, Nicholas Batum, or as PK likes to call him, Nick Batum. They are out. No Paul George, no Nicholas Batum. Batum has a concussion. Uh, Kawhi Leonard is questionable, and Mike Conley is listed as questionable. As he comes back from the hamstring, uh, Kawhi Leonard some kind of lower leg injury. I don't know what it is. Well, I've been questionable for 18, for 19 years now, and I've shown up most of the time. Oh, you've been day-to-day, but you haven't been questionable. Uh, many I expect my, you there, so there's no question. Many of my takes have been questionable. That's a different thing. Even when I'm there, though, I'm questionable as I'm playing. <laughs> I always think you're going to make it through, though. One of these times. Well, one of these times, maybe not. Jazz game night, the pregame show at 7 o'clock. Uh, first tip at 8. If you What's had to guess. Tip? Uh, they don't do the second tip anymore. <laughs> so, well, you said first. <laughs> right. Well, there used to be a second tip at halftime. They used to tip every quarter. Now they just tip it off to start the game. And then, you know, there's a jump ball along the way. So the second tip is is random, if at all. Which I think is stupid because I think you should bring the captains out and flip a coin. That wouldn't be bad. If you just flipped the coin and then alternated possessions, I could live with that. Well, then you defer and you have the referee give the safe sign. And now you're overthinking it. All right, Mike Mike Conley questionable. Because he's been out, does that make you think he's going to play? Because i got to say with Kawhi Leonard, I don't think when I hear questionable, I don't think he's going to play. But Conley, I'm kind of leaving the door open. It doesn't matter to me. What, what difference does it make? Because I, mean, I want to see him play. Point. I want him back in the lineup. But he'll, you, you will see that. Tonight? It's not like he's out. He hasn't retired. Uh, I know he hasn't retired. Thank you, Captain Obvious. You're questionable. So, <laughs> I don't think that – but in terms of the game – it doesn't matter. You have to play the game. You have to try to win the game. You've done that very, very well. Yep. And I was thinking yeah. about this. I was thinking about this last night watching the Nets. And then they had the big comeback, obviously. We'll get to that. But this is one of the benefits. We keep hearing, well, you know, they don't have the true elite superstar 
as if it's a negative. Actually, it's not a negative because it's a positive. We've seen a number of guys be out and miss games here and there, not substantially, but on a limited basis they've missed games and they haven't missed a beat because they don't have this true superstar. So when the true superstar isn't there, then it doesn't matter if he isn't or isn't there because you're more of a team of a collection of guys that are helping you win games. So whether Mike Conley plays or not has no bearing on whether they win or lose. That's a good thing. That's not a negative thing. On a limited basis, if he's out for 20, 30 games or like Bogdanovich in the postseason in a series, that's an entirely different situation. I'm talking about games here and there that all teams go through. And the Jazz so far have had not a whole lot of injuries, knock on wood, but they've had some, some issues. I would, I would label them minor, but yet they haven't missed a beat. So this idea that, well, you don't have that true superstar shouldn't necessarily be viewed as a negative. It should be viewed as, well, we've got enough dogs to be able to win the game. So whether Conley plays or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, I think all that's true in the regular season, but in the playoffs, you get to the fourth quarter of the biggest games and you need stars. Possession after possession in the fourth quarter of the biggest game, it's usually the stars that get it done. For one possession, plenty of role players have hit big shots. So if it comes down to one possession, you don't necessarily need the star. Uh, but Who's hit big shots outside of Ori and Kerr? Who you, who's your go-to guys? Ori and Kerr. <laughs> you knew you were going to do that. <laughs> Give me John Paxson. Yeah, John Paxson. There's another good one. John Paxson and Kerr are the same guy. It's a good they point. are not. <laughs> they are not the same guy. You're questionable. To MJ, they are. Who's today? He's 58 years old today. I, I would go beyond that That one possession. I mean, the one possession could be no, with two or three point. minutes I'm just, left. I'm just playing. I'm playing yeah. with you. Yeah. But you're right. When you get down to the final 10 seconds, then that's, that's pretty much the list. All right, DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Murray's quickly across the timeline. Throws it in the paint to Jokic. Layup is up and in. That's 43 for Nikola. Ingram bounce feet to the cutting Williamson. Left baseline, two-hand throw down. Look out. Below. He is dead last percentage-wise as the king goes baseline. Look out below. Lillard will bring it back the other way. He crosses over and drives, goes up off the glass and banks it in. Harden, straight on, three on the way. Good! Oh, James Harden has led them all the way back. Nets take a two-point lead with 29.8 seconds to go. The Nets pull off their biggest halftime comeback since they joined the NBA in 1976 in the ABA-NBA merger. That is a long time ago. 45 years ago. They were down 75-54 at half. 75 points and a half. I mean, you are giving up some points. And yet, they were able to come rolling back from a what eventually was a 24-point deficit. They did it without two of their big three. James Harden played, but uh, Kevin Durant had a hamstring injury, so he was out. And Kyrie Irving had lower back tightness, so he was out. Steve Nash back in Phoenix, making the magic happen, breaking Suns hearts in the city where he starred as a player. And they come all the way back and win that game. Phoenix just completely shutting down at the end of the game, PK. They didn't score in the last two and a half minutes. 248 without a point. No, I'm going to be listening to Satellite today. I ain't going to be listening to Phoenix Radio when I go to the gym. I know what they're going to be talking about, and I don't want to hear it. <laughs> you don't want to hear them? Wait a minute. You love negativity and pain and suffering and misery. 
Why don't you want to hear this? I uh, get you don't want to hear an hour of it, but you know, like yeah. 10 minutes of this. Yeah, Who are they blaming? Gonna, they're going to be talking about it all day. What else do they have to talk about? Right. Who are they blaming? Whose fault is this? How did this happen? Well, I was texting somebody from Los Angeles uh, late last night around 11 o'clock, and he says, I blame Chris Paul. I blame everything on Chris Paul. He's a gagger. <laughs> and he recites all the things yeah, right? he's lost. I said, okay, well, yeah, you got me there. Now, I didn't want to say, hey, yeah, time for me to go to bed. But uh, yeah. so you know, they'll dissect that thing every which way. You know, you, they got a 24-point lead in the second half. That's a lot. And that's a, that's a big-time gag. I can't uh, – just blow that off and say, ah, well, it happens. It's a little too too much to just, ah, that's the NBA. It happens. I can't really accept that in this circumstance. You'll go 10, maybe 15, but not 24. You've drawn a line. In the second half? I'm, I'd be more uh, open to it in the first half, but in the second yeah, half? Think, yeah, nah. I think once it gets to 20, it always bugs me. I mean, there are more possessions in the first half, so I get your point, but it, it would still bug me. It can bug you, but we've, it's not that unusual. 24 in the second half is unusual. Uh, elsewhere, the Lakers labored but beat the Timberwolves. LeBron went for 30 points, 13 rebounds, and 7 assists. So Lakers pick up a half game on the idle jazz there. Is it too early to turn into a pennant race? Will I bother you if I do that? I mean, I'm probably going to do it no matter you know, what you there, say. There's no such things as pennant races Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. Uh, that's that's an old phrase that doesn't exist. Jazz are a game and a half up on the Lakers uh, after the Lakers win and beat Minnesota. Anytime the Lakers go home, they always get fired up. <laughs> the Lakers go home. What was that? That was, uh, what, 60 years ago now? <laughs> it's amazing. That, to me, the Timberwolves have replaced the, have replaced the Kings as the NBA's most consistent joke. 7-21. and 21. They've got the worst record in the NBA. A little extenuating thir- circumstances with Carl Anthony Towns missing so many games with COVID, but nonetheless, the worst record. No, he's back now. Uh, Blazers beat the Thunder. Damian Lillard went off. He had 31 points, 10 assists. Hit a few outrageous shots. So Portland gets the win. They pass Phoenix for fourth in the West. I guess we should watch... That battle for four and five. Actually, they're tied. They're identical records, 17 and 10. And that puts them one game in front of San Antonio and two in front of Denver. Yeah, Portland's another. I mean, they have two starters out. It it just just doesn't matter, man. you got to find ways to win games. And Portland, they've done just like I thought they would. They've done fine without those guys. Denver Nuggets got 43 from Nikola Jokic, and it didn't matter. They got beat by the Boston Celtics, 112 to 99. They did Needed someone to go with the Joker, and, and nobody did. Well, I think Murray did, uh, but Millsap was out, and they just their bench doesn't give you anything, much of anything. I mean, they they they've got a couple injuries, plus the guys that they've lost in the off season. They just don't really have much of a bench. Fourteen points off the bench, not enough. Yeah. Got outscored thirty to fourteen. Yeah. Uh, Timberwolves guard D'Angelo Russell undergoing arthroscopic surgery. A loose body in his left knee. Expected to be out four to six games. He's already missed three. Celtic star Jason Tatum said he's still dealing with the after effects of COVID-19 more than a month after he initially tested positive for the virus. He says, I think it messes with your breathing a little bit. I have experienced some games where I don't want to say I'm struggling to breathe, but you know, you get fatigued a lot quicker than normal. Just running up and down the court a few times. It's easier to get out of breath or tired a lot faster. DJ and PK. 
Hashtag college basketball. Big game in the Mountain West. Utah State, Boise State. Utah State's 11-2. Boise State's 12-3. So Utah State percentage points in front of the Broncos in the race for first place in the Mountain West Conference. Game tips at 7 o'clock. You can watch it on the CBS Sports Network. Scotty G will have the full play-by-play coverage beginning at 6.30 on 12.80 The Zone. Aggies have had a little bit of a a layoff here, PK, uh, having the game canceled in Fresno, and then the next week Wyoming didn't want to play. So they were playing pretty well. It'll be interesting to see if if they got it coming back. They're 14-5. They're 11-2 in conference. Well, name me a team who hasn't had a layoff. Boise State. I don't know if they have or they haven't. Uh, if they haven't had any games missed, that would just be. Oh uh, no, they've had awesome. a game. They 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 have missed a game because they're at 15 yeah. games, so they missed one along the way somewhere. Uh, and now they're going to allow 900 fans into Taco Bell Arena. The drama of the fans talking to someone close to Utah State last night. Boise State just gets under their skin. They hate him with a passion. Yeah. It's technically extra mile. Yeah, it's now. been renamed. Come on. Well, he called it Taco Bell Arena. It so still should be Taco Bell Arena, in my um, opinion. <laughs> and why is that? If Taco Bell's not writing it, I want a crunch wrap. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I am a former employee of Taco Bell. Didn't some uh, middle-aged woman hit on you at some party and creep you out at a Taco Bell Christmas party? She was all over me, like white on rice. And how? And this is when you were like twenty or something. Uh, it's probably eighteen, nineteen. Yeah, and I just said, you know, sweetheart, maybe if you got your teeth fixed. Ah, oh, but even then, she was the manager, and it's a little bit of alcohol-induced. Uh, Situation, and I had enough brains to know, yeah, not no, happening. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Florida Gators coach Dan Mullen, former University of Utah quarterbacks coach. Dan Mullen demurred when asked about his potential addition jumping in the NFL at some point, saying, I'll address it this way. I think a lot of people are trying to figure out what the future of college football is going to hold and what's it going to look like going forward. I love being here at the University of Florida. I think we have a great program. We have a great fan base, great history, the opportunity to be a championship program every single year. I think there are concerns with coaches regarding what the future of college football is going to look like. I think there's a lot of uncertainty that we're trying to figure out right now to see what our futures are going to hold. Man, that's a long way to say, well, we'll see. Right? Yeah, but I, I get he's young enough. Why would he slam the door? And I, I mean... He shouldn't be looking around leaving Florida because he's got a great job, but it's college football. Florida could fire him, and he can want to go to the NFL. So why issue some guy? College statement? football, it could be the guy at the shoe store and anything in between. Why would anybody say, well, I'm not going to do that? You don't know what's going to happen. Right. So I don't begrudge him. He just say, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I'm the coach right now. I love this job, and we're trying to prepare for spring ball or whatever it is that's on the agenda for today. And away you go. Who knows what's going to happen six months, ten months, ten years from now. Yeah. I mean, this, this is like, okay, fine. Was there some rumor about him? Why did he get asked about this? You know. Yeah. Maybe because of Urban, I guess. It's a topic. He's in Florida. It Urban's was, in Jacksonville. It was his pre-spring ball press conference. So, yeah. 
Our American Football Coaches Association asked the NCAA Rules Committee to take up the issue of players faking injuries. The current rule says if a clock is stopped for an injury, the injured player has to go to the sideline and sit out one snap before he's eligible to return. I hadn't noticed a big problem with players faking injuries, but I guess it could change that to three plays or five plays. I mean, that stuff would usually happen at the end of a game, and if there aren't that many plays left, you're not going to want to miss five of them. I think he should be kicked out of school and their scholarships immediately revoked. TJ and PK, you're questionable. Hashtag NFL. We've had some some contact. You know, it's it's you know it's early in the stages. I think you know he's having. Uh, we obviously know his skill set and what he's meant to the Texans. I haven't played against him twice. Um, the type of player he is. Uh, so we'll you know we'll just kind of see how it goes. Like a lot of these guys that you know that are coming available you know, over the next uh, few weeks. That's Titans general manager John Robinson saying they've been in contact. With J.J. Watt, who apparently there's a link with him to Cleveland. I assume everybody who's a playoff team, there'll be a link to J.J. Watt. Why would he go to a rebuilding team? Go, go somewhere where you can be a third-down pass rushing specialist or something. Take a little less money. Play for a winner. So you've got him as just a part-time player? Yeah, I think so. I mean, his sacks are down, and I would think that that is uh, – maybe it's because – He's getting doubled and nobody else can play, but I mean, he's, he's had some injuries. I don't know that he's as explosive as he's been. You tend to take a beating at that position over the course of your career. I mean, he could be a, you know, a you know, once-in-a-generation player like Reggie White or something and be really productive into his mid-30s, but I wouldn't think he's out there signing some big Reggie four-year... Reggie White's the go-to guy, isn't he? He really is. But, <laughs> and I just don't think he's that because Reggie White's off the charts. So okay. yeah, I would think I would think uh, you know more of a part-time role here. You know, you, you get two defensive ends, put them in some you know three-man rotation. But we'll see. What do I know? Carolina Panthers released two-time All-Pro defensive tackle Kawan Short after he suffered back-to-back season-ending shoulder injuries in 2019 and 2020 to limit him to just five games played over two years. And projected top overall pick Trevor Lawrence underwent surgery to repair the labrum in his left shoulder, which is his non-throwing shoulder. He posted on social media, media that surgery went great and he's excited to rehab. So I guess so he Lawrence had labrum leaves no doubt. There it is. The Lawrence labrum is in great shape. Lovely. And the five-year-old girl who was in critical condition after being injured in an accident by Britt Reed, son of Chiefs head coach Andy Reed. She has woken up from the coma she was in. Reed remains under investigation for the accident. His contract with the Chiefs expired after the Super Bowl. So, good news that she has uh, come out of the coma. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There is no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Tim Reynolds, NBA writer for the Associated Press, joins us next. Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, is here at 9 on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Number one.
Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Jerry Signer Cadillac. At Jerry Signer Cadillac, you can shop your way and get a piece of luxury you deserve. Stop by and test drive one today. Tim Riddles, NBA writer for the Associated Press, is going to join us here momentarily. Talk with him about the Jazz and the Clippers and the Western Conference race. Jazz have won 19 out of 20. Got the question of the day up, and you can uh, hit this up on Facebook or on Twitter. You think anybody on this team is playing below or above their capability? Is this sustainable, in other words, PK? That's another way to say it. Is anybody off the charts here? Out of their tree? Well, couple of things come to mind in that regard. I mean, I think Joe Ingles is playing the best he's ever played. He's so reluctant to talk about it. It's just not his personality. We know and respect that. And I think at times Clarkson is just about a thousand times better than I thought he could ever be. Definitely better than when he got here. I don't think there's any question. Uh, coming here, I'd, I'd, I'd seen him play, so I knew he was uh, instant offense off the bench, but I didn't know. I, I think he's Got a high basketball IQ, and he's proven to be really coachable, and I didn't know he's going to be capable of doing all the stuff he's doing. His catch-and-shoot three, I always viewed him as a guy, probably played a lot of one-on-one and two-on-two, you know, just beating people off the dribble and turning and twisting and hitting these shots. None of that surprised me. But that he has fit in. You know, when he got here, the bench was struggling so bad, it was like, just just give him the ball and get out of the way because whatever he gets is more you were going to get from the bench. But he just he fits in the offense so well. I, I didn't know that was going to happen. Oh, I didn't know anything was going to happen. I had no idea how he was going to play. I mean, it didn't matter what he did in Los Angeles and Cleveland. It was only going to matter how he was going to play here. And I can't say I could have predicted any of this. And so he's just been the most pleasant surprise of them all. And then sometimes he's way beyond that, as yeah. recently as the very last ball game. He's absolutely incredible. And, uh, you know, I used to, uh, but, with the uh, Cougars, I used to w- w- uh, try to mark when they would tell us about John Beck and Zach Wilson. Now, here on the broadcast, when are they going to bring up the six-man award? <laughs> <laughs> Replacing Zach driving to California. Yeah. DJ PK, it's time to bring in Tim Reynolds, NBA writer for the Associated Press. Tim, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. So, we wanted to have you on as a guy who uh, covers the NBA, uh, assess the West and the Jazz and how things are going, because you can imagine there's a little bit of excitement around this team. I, I, I would think there's probably um, a little bit more than a little. Right. I would, even, I would allow Jazz fans to go to medium excitement okay. at this point. They're there. I, I would allow them to go that far. Um, yeah, uh, you're, you're really good. You've got a really good basketball team. And, and I'll tell you this, and I've written about this in, in, in past years. In fact, I even asked Quinn about it once, and he kind of rolled his eyes at me. Quinn's teams get better as the year goes along. And, and if that doesn't make the West a little bit more nervous, um, it should. <laughs> it really should. There's just 
there there isn't there isn't a weakness now. I, I also, and I'm gonna I'm just throwing myself at the mercy of you guys here. I don't think there's an all-star starter on that team. I don't think that's going to be a big surprise. The, the strength is the balance. There's, it, it, there's an unselfishness about them. that They remind me very much of, of the Heat teams that were here in those four years with LeBron and Chris and Dwayne, maybe not in the – certainly the, the, the national noticing, the national buzz, um, which means nothing, by the way. But those teams were successful because nobody cared who did what on a given night. Nobody cares that Jordan Clarkson comes off and scores 40. Nobody cares that Rudy does this some night. Nobody cares that Joe does this some night. Nobody cares when Donovan does his thing. That's what you need to be elite, and that's what Quinn has. That's what the Jazz have built, and that's why 23-5, and five, You know, I don't know if they're going to play 800 basketball the rest of the way. Uh, but this is no joke. They are real, and they are very much a contender to win the whole thing. And as I was watching basketball, and I watch it every night for you know, obviously for uh, work purposes and just personal enjoyment. Anyway, I'm thinking that so much of this has been viewed as a negative that they don't have that all-star starter, as you phrase it. But actually, when you think about it and step back, the fact that they're, they've won all these ball games without that is the strength and is the positive, meaning that it can be Mitchell's your guy who's probably going to lead you in scoring most nights. But the other night, they had four guys score at least 25. So to me, it shouldn't be viewed as a negative. It should be viewed as a positive. Oh, 100%. 100%. Now, there's of course there's two ways to look at it, right? There's from the opposition standpoint, what and who do you take away on the Jazz roster? I mean, it's what what can you do if you take away A, B is going to get you. If you take away B, C is going to get you. If you take away C and D, A and B are going to go crazy. It's so it's a nightmare to game plan for an unselfish basketball team. Now, what the next thing is going to be, what the next complaint about the Jazz will be, is you look at this run. What are they, what's it, 18 out of 19 or 19 out of 20? 19 to 20, yeah. 19 to 20. Most of those games, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I mean, I've, I've watched them. They've all pretty much all been by double digits, right? So watch what the next thing will be. The next time the Jazz are in a close game, who does Quinn go to? Who's the go-to guy in those situations? That will be the next hurdle. That will be the next complaint. The next time the Jazz are in a close game and they don't win. And it will happen. You will lose a close game at some point this season. That will be the next complaint. The Jazz don't have a go-to guy because people will draw conclusions off one game. Look, they know what they have. I think smart fans know what they have. I know this league knows what's going on out there. Um, sit back, relax, and enjoy. And when they do announce the All-Star starters tomorrow night, for a game that hasn't technically been announced yet, by the way, I mean, I think Quinn can coach, Quinn can clinch the coaching job, I think, tonight. If they beat the Clippers, I think Quinn is locked in to be the All-Star coach for a game that hasn't technically been announced. Enjoy that. Enjoy, those, enjoy the fact that you don't have an All-Star starter and that your strength is in numbers, and that's how you win in this league. Okay, that is... 
uh, how you win, but when it gets time to win the biggest games, and I agree with you that the you know the national hype isn't there and that doesn't matter, but the All Star starters tend to be a reflection of playoff success the last few years, and the, usually you have to have some playoff success before you can win it all. It's the rare team that lost in the first round. I think the Warriors having lost in the second round and then going to win the championship was unusual. So for a team to come off back-to-back first-round losses, um, I know the Mavericks had a lot of first-round problems. I'd have to look back when they won it. It just doesn't happen very often. So do you worry about not having that go-to guy in the biggest moment when you get to the biggest games in the playoffs? No, because you have. we all know you have the go-to guy. Right, I mean, we all saw what Donovan did in the bubble last year. I mean, if, if people are going to say the Jazz haven't been to the conference finals and whatever, the Jazz haven't been to the finals and whatever, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't really. I, I don't think any of that stuff matters to me. I mean, remember Anthony Davis couldn't win until he won. You know, I mean, even LeBron, LeBron couldn't win until he won. Um, it's it, it's a. I, I don't buy into it really at all that you need that past success or even to get to the brink and feel that pain before you can get there. Um, you know, Joe Ingles has played international basketball at the highest level forever. You know, Rudy has been, you know, part of Olympic runs and World Cup runs. With These guys know what the pressure cooker is. They do. They absolutely do know. And, you know, I would expect that, you know, I would expect that, that Quinn and Dennis and, and the decision-makers out there, I, I would think you're going to add a piece. I would think you're not going to sit idly. I mean, it, it's it's not like you need something, but if everyone else is going to add, if every other contender is going to add, you feel compelled to. So you bring in another vet who's been there, another good guy for the locker room and that sort of thing. It, it, the, and, and the issue takes care of itself. I, I don't think... Just to be clear what I was saying, that there isn't a question that you guys I mean, Donovan is the go to guy. He absolutely is. And and you can get on his back and he will carry you in a playoff. But, but the best part about the Jazz is he doesn't have to do that. That's what's great I mean, he signed that massive contract last summer and jumped into the pool and ruined that pair of sneakers by jumping into the pool with his shoes on. But he hasn't played as though he's got this burden on him of he has to live up to a contract. He's sort of been the same Donovan from what I have seen. That's exactly what you want if you're Utah. What level of action do you expect as far as player movement here in the next few weeks? You know, I'm kind of in the minority on this one. I think there will be some. I mean, you're already seeing, you know, the rumor mills out there, and obviously, you know, the Andre Drummond situation is public. The Blake Griffin situation is public. Um, someone will trade for Andre Drummond. Um, he's a young, very good, big, and expiring. Uh, the Pistons will have to buy out Blake Griffin at some point because nobody's going to trade for that contract. And I do think in the right spot, Blake could be, you know, if he if he's healthy, Blake could be a good fit off the bench in a lot of places. But I think broadly, I don't think there's going to be, I don't think there's going to be dozens and dozens and dozens of guys on the move because remember, we have an expanded playoff now in this league. It might just be one game, but going to 10 teams, going to 10 teams in each conference, technically getting in, this, this play in series is going to have more teams. It's going to do for the NBA what the wild card originally did for baseball. 
teams that would be out of the race, that team in 13th, that is nine games out of eight, they're not going to be out of the race anymore because they're only going to be three or four games behind 10th, and they're going to feel like we still have a chance to get in. So I don't know if a lot of teams will be selling. And you can't have tons of buyers without tons of sellers. So I I don't think there's going to be wild movement. I think your elite teams will look to add a piece. You know, Drummond will be the big name that gets moved. I don't think any of – I don't – put it this way, guys. I'd be really surprised if there was, like, some sort of blockbuster that we didn't see coming, some huge name getting moved. I'd be really surprised if that happened this year. Do you see something that the Clippers and Lakers want to add? Because obviously those are the two teams Jazz fans are watching closely. you see an obvious move for those clubs? Yeah, oh, I did see an obvious move for the Clippers, and I'm surprised they didn't get Derrick Rose. Uh, you know, Derrick Rose, his, you know, his agent is based in L.A. I think he still has a home out there. They need a backup point guard, and they need a backup wing. Um, so I was very surprised that they didn't get more seriously into the Derrick Rose talks. I mean, Derrick wanted to go to New York. Not that that ultimately matters. Um, I mean, if, if Detroit got a better offer from the Clippers, he'd probably be a Clipper right now. So I do think they'll look to add a backup point. Um, the Lakers situation is, is unusual, guys, in that you have LeBron, so you're fine because he plays like every position. Um, the Anthony Davis situation is what you watch out there. They're, you know, Woe just saying two, three weeks. The Lakers are just saying, you know, the Lakers haven't come out and said that, I don't think, officially yet. Um, they're just saying, you know, it's a strain. He's being evaluated. The longer that situation goes, then the Lakers have to decide, do we want a complimentary piece? Do we want another another backup point guard type? Do we need another vet like, like, like Rondo? Rondo was so big for that team last year. Do you need someone like him again? Or can we really count on Anthony Davis to log big minutes? Remember, and guys, these games are rapid fire this year. Everybody's playing every other day. So can he play big minutes without a lot of recovery time, or do we need to lighten his load when he comes back and bring in another big? I think the Lakers are going to have to think long and hard about what they're going to do. They're going to add someone, but the question is, will they add another, another perimeter guy, or do they add a big? Do they find a way? somehow, some way to bring in Andre Drummond. Do they find, do they put themselves in, I, I don't know how they do it. They don't have that many tradable assets for that kind of contract. I don't know how it would happen. Um, but do they get into that mix somehow? So for the Clippers, it's going to be a backup point guard without question. For the Lakers, it sort of depends on AD. So from the Jazz perspective, to get where they want to go, they're going to have to go through Los Angeles, and it may be two teams, it may be one team, but it looks like most definitely they're going to have to go through them. How do you think that they match up when all all three teams are healthy as far as that goes? I mean, I, I think I don't think there's a matchup out there for Utah that's bad. I, I, I truly don't. I mean, you have the elite guard. You have, you know, elite bench play this year. You have the elite rim protector. So on the surface, there isn't a bad matchup, right, for them. What you're hoping, if you're the Jazz, I think what you're hoping more than anything else is that the standings right now, one, two, three, stay there. You don't want to play both L.A. teams. You'd like to see the L.A. teams beat each other up in the Western Conference semifinals. That's what you want. You want to play 
the Spurs or the Blazers or the Nuggets or the Suns in the second round. You don't want to have to go through both the Lakers and the Clippers. Let them slug it out. Let whoever emerges from that series come into the Western Conference final a little bit wounded. I think that's what you're hoping for if you're Utah. But there's, you know, matchup-wise, the Lakers are a matchup nightmare for everybody because they have LeBron. And he's still, you know, Giannis is the two-time MVP. LeBron is still a top two or three MVP candidate in this league, if not top one. And I still call him the best player, even at age 36, even in year 18. I still think he's the best player. And we all saw last year when you dangle a championship in front of him, that guy finds another way to raise his game, as crazy as that sounds. I I don't think the Jazz have to worry about it. There's no one you point to and say they're a bad matchup because the Jazz have everything. But there's a lot of teams that have everything. The Clippers, to me, will go into the playoffs with the most approved just because of the history, because of Paul George's history in the postseason, because of you know all these 3-1 leads. Can you finally break through? They're going to have to bear that weight. They will, they'll act like it won't matter. They'll say it won't matter. It will absolutely matter. So the Clippers are going to go into the playoffs with some baggage. The Lakers will go into the playoffs with some baggage because they're the defending champions. LeBron only has a few years left. They know that it's not a forever thing. They're paying all this money. Take advantage of your championship window right now. To me, the Jazz are going to go into the playoffs, if healthy, very footloose and fancy-free, and say, listen, there's no pressure on us. They, they could be the one seed, guys. They could be the one. They could be the overall one seed. No one's still going to believe they're good enough to win it. And that's a very good position to be in when you don't have to carry that pressure. So, assuming they are able to hold on to the one seed, and you, you know, you make the point about not wanting to have to play both the LA teams. Is there anybody in the West that either? Uh, by improving the way you said Quinn Snyder teams always improve, or by one of these acquisitions, is there anybody in the West that, can, or maybe getting healthy guys, getting guys back healthy, that can make that jump and be a fourth team and be on on relatively the same plane as as the Jazz, Lakers, and Clippers? Well, I, I still think Portland, when healthy and when right, is they're a very scary group. I mean, look, they really haven't been whole much this year, and they're seven or eight games over five hundred. Um, you know, they've had questions at the five, you know, it, 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 they're still there. And, and one of these years, Dame and CJ are going to be in, become even a tougher out. They're a tough out now. I think they could be a team that gets very scary. Um, Denver is going to figure it out. You see signs. Denver's, Denver's playing better. They're obviously missing a bunch of guys right now. You know, they have another guy who's elite. They have a guy who does everything. Uh, um, as Eric Spolster calls them, a Swiss Army knife, you know, in Jokic. But the one team I point to and say, if they went out and made a big move, I'm telling you, Golden State, as much as people don't want to hear it, I think Steph's playing the best ball of his life right now. Steve Kerr is proven in the postseason. If the Warriors go out and add a piece, I don't know who it would be. There's a lot of teams in the West that can get really good. The West playoffs, look, the there's not an easy matchup for anybody. There won't be. Um, the West playoffs are going to be just hideous. They're going to be bloody. They are absolutely going to be bloody because there are a lot of good teams that could get really scary depending on how aggressive they want to get by adding the guys to deadline. He's Tim Reynolds, writes for the Associated Press, covering the NBA. Tim, thanks for coming on. A million opinions, a lot of stuff to consider. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys.
Tim Reynolds, NBA writer for the AP right there. PK, no pressure. I know, that's, right? That's, <laughs> like, well, that sounds good, <laughs> but I'm not sure that I buy it. But it sounds good. Well, you could go that way, and you can make a, a compelling case. It's not like Tim is just completely up in the night uh, in that way because no one's going to be picking them, so there's something to be said for that. No one is going to be picking them because it's even now, yeah, 19 to 20, yeah, but, and we've talked about that yeah, but, and that yeah, but is going to have a day of reckoning, and they're going to have to answer for it one way or the other. And that's a great thing, as we've said about pro sports. It's not a beauty contest. It's if you you want the praise, you want all the accolades, well, win, and you'll get them all. And it doesn't matter where you are in this league. You can be in the smallest, you can be in the biggest. Now, maybe you get more along the way if you're in the biggest because everyone's chasing ratings. The whole idea of media is about entertainment and to make as much money as you can get. And if you don't think that's the truth, you know, you're naive. So... I understand that along the process, but you can look at, all right, yeah, everyone's looking at the Lakers and then the Clippers, and so they're not really looking at you. But then you can look at, man, people have doubted you all year. Now's your chance. What are you going to do about it? And I don't know how these guys will respond in that way because none of them have been in this situation as an NBA player to where there's a level of expectation that clearly has ratcheted up. Are you going to be able to meet that? Now, I don't think that it's winning the title or you're a disgrace. I, 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 don't, I don't see that. You know, if you blow a 3-1 lead in the final, that's another story. But you could have a great playoff run without winning the title. So in that way, there's not as much pressure. Well, LeBron at 36, it's either last team standing or nothing for him. Right. There's really no in-between. There's no gray area whatsoever. And really for the Clippers, too, I think you can put them at that level because uh, Kawhi Leonard has been there and Paul George has had repeated playoff failures. And if you have another one, you know, Paul George, he ought to be talking to Clayton Kershaw just about every day. How you handle this? <laughs> because the parallels between these two guys, you know, being really, really good, but then at the biggest moments not coming through, well, Kershaw – got rid of that uh, this past season here with the World Series and all that stuff. So there's pressure there that is more than I believe is on the Jazz. Yes, and I think also there's something to be said in the NBA. You know, in a seven-game series, do you feel the pressure right away because you can lose a game or two and bounce back? But if you win that first game or two, how much pressure is on you? You know, when the other, you know, let's say the Clippers, right? Paul George has that storyline, and if the Jazz win game one and game two at home, is there that much pressure? I mean, there'll be some. There's always some, but is there really that much? Yeah, and then I think when the ball goes up on the first tip, as you say, that it's time to play ball, and you shouldn't be worrying about this or that. You should be, you should be focused in the moment right there to succeed, so then that pressure becomes... Uh, David David Shaw said a thing one time on the field after a game. Pressure is not a real thing. It's not a tangible thing. Right. It's And so don't get swallowed up on it because you decide. If you decide there's none, well, then there is none. If you decide there's a ton, well, there is ton. It's not like a... It's not a third and four where you need yeah. four yards. You need a tangible four yards to get a first down. Pressure doesn't work that way. Pressure really, and I've heard athletes say this, pressure is opportunity. There's pressure. Well, you got if you're going to do this, that means you have a chance to do it. So it's really how you view it. 
You know, you can view it as a piano on your back, and then you can try to run your, you know, <laughs> run the race. But you can also view it as it's opportunity. Sweet, I got a chance to do this. And I think if you view it that way, it's less likely to bug you, and you're more likely to be able to come through. You know, the pass, the free throw, the shot, you know, defensive stand, whatever it is. All right, DJ and PK, uh, your reaction to Tim Reynolds, you know, the whole thought that uh, everybody out there doubts the Jazz. Well, not everybody does. I thought that was, uh, I thought that was a pretty, uh, pretty strong uh, storyline for the Jazz there out of Tim. Uh, we'll get to that coming up. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. The Jazz are becoming that showpiece. The Jazz are becoming the party. Everybody barbecues a bunch of stuff and gets together for the Super Bowl, and it's a lot of fun because it's the show. That's what the Jazz are becoming. It's an event now. It's an event. Must watch TV. They play a style of basketball that not only is winning a lot of games for them right now, but, you know, the old pick-and-roll, boring Jazz teams that won a lot of games, but some people across the country, it's just boring basketball. Well, this is not boring basketball. Yeah, back to the basket, dribble the clock out, take the yeah. shot. That's not that is not this team. I mean, cranking forty to forty-five threes a game. That's going to get people's attention really quickly. Hanson Scotting weekdays from ten to two on 97.5-1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK is brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision's New Year's special continues through February. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of this month. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com. Well, PK, we just had uh, Tim Reynolds on, NBA writer for the Associated Press. I think the thing he said that uh, I most bought into, that I most thought watching this team play, is that the, uh, the front office and a combination of who the front office has acquired, draft, trade, you know, uh, free agent signing, whatever, uh, who they've acquired, and then the development, the way they've filled out guys' skill sets. The Jazz have an answer for everything, right? So many guys can pass. So many guys can shoot. they got a couple guys who can block shots and protect the rim and, and who can dunk in a pick and roll. And so there's, there's, always, there's always an option there. And, and so I, I buy that, and that is the, the strength of the team, is there's no obvious way to defend these guys. And there's also, I think sometimes with a team, you have to take a guy with a, uh, I don't want to go on movies on you, a particular set of skills, uh, who isn't well-rounded, but you need the help off the bench, so you just you get them and you just go with what they do and let them do their thing for the... 5 to 10 to 15 minutes, whatever it is you think you need. And that's great, but it can kind of be, it's, it's a little bit of a cul-de-sac and a dead end at times. And the Jazz haven't had to do that. I mean, they, we, we've seen them sub guys in and the injuries you were talking about earlier in the hour. You know, they have enough guys with, with similar skill sets that if they miss a ball handler, they got two other ball handlers. If they miss a three-point shooter, they got other three-point shooters. Now, they don't have anybody who protects the rim the way... Rudy does. You know, Favors does it, but not to the same level. And then if Favors has to come off the floor, then there's, you know, because he can't play 48 minutes if Rudy's out, then there's a really big drop-off. So that, I mean, that's the one place maybe the Jazz get hurt down the line. But otherwise, it seems like they got all that stuff covered. So to go to the question you put up, who's playing above, if is anyone playing below or above his capability, 
I guess the one thing that jumps out at me watching all this balance is largely the answer is no. I think these guys are who they are. But if there's one that jumps out at me, Joe is shooting the ball freakishly well. And is that sustainable? Is Joe going to shoot 51% for the year? And if you'd offered me that at the start of the year, I'd have to say no. I mean, we all think he's a good shooter because he's done it for so long, but 51% is a huge number. The 44% from three is a little on the high end, but he has been in that ballpark before. And because there's so many shooters, he's getting good shots. So maybe a little bit there. But other than that, these guys are pretty much who they are. Yeah, I don't think they have an answer for LeBron. So I don't think they have an answer for everything. No, they have an answer for how they get defended. Uh, but having an answer for LeBron? No, I don't think anybody has an answer for LeBron. I think the answer for LeBron is, is the rest of the team good enough to do it because LeBron can't do it every possession. You know, you can't play at the highest level offensively on every possession for 80, 90 possessions in a game. If he has enough to get him within, if he, what he and Jordan have in common is if they have enough around them to get them within sight of the finish line, they're going to get across the finish line. The question is, do they have enough to get that close to the finish? Well, he's answered the question virtually every year, yes. <laughs> Four championships. Well, it's also trips to the finals. Yep. Five because more. The, the Lakers don't have to win the title to eliminate the Jazz. And so, really, if they eliminate the Jazz, from the Jazz perspective, who cares if they win the title? So, that it's not about the title relative to LeBron and the Jazz, since they're in the same conference. So it doesn't matter. So I have to see. Maybe they do have an answer. Maybe I shouldn't say they don't have an answer. I retract that. I don't know if they have an answer. I cannot say they have an answer to everything. And even from the offensive perspective, I can't say that against LeBron and his guys. I don't know that. So I take that back in saying, I, instead of saying they don't have an answer, they I'm going to advise that they, and say maybe that. And that's the beauty of it. That's the great thing that I hope we get an opportunity to figure out and see for ourselves. That's what it's all about. I'm a sports fan. That's all I am. And that excites me as an opportunity to be able to watch that because that presents all sorts of intrigue. It may end up the way we thought it was going to end up all along where the king is the king and so forth. Uh, But I believe they've got an opportunity. They've got the best opportunity that they've had uh, since, well, LeBron's only been there a year or two. Uh, So, again, you know, since – but as far as the Jazz go, it's obviously the best opportunity since – Williams and O'Kerr, and then going back uh, to the statues, clearly. And this team is so intriguing because if they do that, they can they can outscore you. That's what's crazy is that, you know, all this emphasis for years has been on defense, but they have the ability to outscore you. And so I appreciate how they've evolved, and they haven't stayed stuck in a way, we're going to do it this way, damn it, and uh, if you don't like it, you're – Screw you. Well, okay, you want to have basic defensive principles because you're going to need stops. There's no question you'll need stops. You haven't needed a whole lot of stops in these games 
because as uh, we said, the streak of 19 to 20, you've won by an average of 17 points. So you're not you don't need a whole lot of stops. But we know the postseason is a drastically different animal, and you will need stops. And so, can they get those stops? Well, I think they can. And offensively, you're going to need buckets, obviously. And can they get them? Well, I'm way more sure of that because I don't see a situation where they're coming down the floor and usually they have four perimeter shooters on the floor most of the time. Occasionally they play uh, Favors and Gobert together, but not nearly as much as they did uh, a couple years ago before Favors took off. So are all of those guys going to be missing buckets at the same time, missing shots? Probably not. No, that's the great thing. And then I think you have the great equalizer in Mitchell who can do a whole lot of stuff to make you look better in addition to making himself look awesome. Outscoring people, we've just seen that here in the last uh, couple of weeks. We've seen them give up 120 points and yet win by double digits. And we've seen them do it twice. They just did it the other night against the Sixers, and they did it to the Hornets uh, a couple weeks ago. So that, that's pretty remarkable that's when you think giving up 120 yeah. points, and yet you still win by double digits. That's exciting basketball, going back to that uh, promo that they're playing from Scotty and Hands, is that they are playing fun basketball. It's fun to watch. No knock against the statues, but this version, in terms of the fun meter, seems to be much higher. At least it is for me. Everybody's got their own opinion on that, and yours is just as valid as mine. So... I enjoy watching this. This is fun hoops for me. I, I'd much rather see this than the grind it out. Now, I don't want to see all-star games where it's 182 to 178 or something. That's over the top. But I do like a little offense. It's like baseball. I can enjoy the, the 10 to 8 game, but I don't want a consistent 21 to 19 game. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. A lot of your answers. Jazz have uh, won 19 out of 20. Who do you think, if anybody, is playing below or above his capability? We will get to that next. Stay with us. Join the big show Friday. Walking in a winter wonderland. (laughs) Don't interrupt me. Join the big show Friday from 2 to 6 at the warehouse. 86 West University Parkway in Orem, if you can get there. By Friday, the plow should have come through. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. <laughs> Boom shakalaka. Yeah. yeah. This is an appropriate tune. It's totally appropriate. It's, the, the, the plows can't keep up. It's not a Christmas tune. Yeah, right. It's a winter wonderland, and we have a winter wonderland. It is snowing so fast, the plows can't keep up. I mean, it is just coming down. Yeah. <laughs> Don't race snow plows when you get on the freeway, campers. I saw that this morning. Oh, the guy spun that? out. No, yes. You did not. You did not. I you did, did too. St- yes. He wasn't I, racing a snow plow. They he were merging not. and he tried to get in front of him. It was a race to see if and he could get there. Why is it TV people who always want to give counsel? Be safe out there. Because I don't like, want to get hit and have my car totaled on the freeway again. That's why. There. I said it. It's two miles from where it happened last time. Fine. He spun out. Not the snowplow. The dude in the little sedan. Nobody races snowplows. Yeah, he did. I was there. I shred that argument. <laughs> no one's that stupid. You're questionable. <laughs> it doesn't happen. We're a community of 
of people who talk on their phones on the freeway doing 60 miles an hour on a snowpack road. Oh, now, now he's talking on his phone. That was, was a different guy. A this, is a dude, this was, this is a different guy. This guy in a big pickup truck. Man, you are just very judgmental. I was not happy on the freeway today. I said some bad words aloud, but if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, did it really make a sound? I don't take the freeway when it's a bit bad weather. I got off the freeway and thought of you, actually. Came in on State Street, got yeah. to State, and said, no, I'm not doing the freeway anymore. This has been Mr. Toe's wild ride. I'm not doing right. it. All right. Yeah. And I just and get did, over to the I, right and I lane totally, and I can go my speed. And, and I totally to thought of you telling me that you just got on uh, 700 one day, stayed yeah. another, whatever, you know, yeah. and you just like 20 miles an hour, straight ahead, leave way early, get there. And if I'm late, so, so be it. So be it. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get on with it. It's not going to be the end of the world. Yeah, I mean, I'm rarely late. <laughs> so uh, one of my specialties is on time. You, you have recall. slept in your car before the show. Yeah, I left early. Didn't need two hours. Only needed one. Slept in the car. Oh, yeah. Bring I'm, blankets. Yeah. I'm yeah. downstairs, Yawk. Text me when I need to come up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I didn't grow up in the driving this way, neither did you. But nope. and, and, I, and I'm such a big baby when it comes to this stuff, and uh, I just I I hate it. I absolutely hate it, man. There's nothing more that I hate uh, in driving is in the, in this weather. I tell the story of our neighbors. We went up to Star Valley, and he pulled over because uh, he was in his car and I was in mine, and he said, "Do you want my wife to drive your car?" <laughs> <laughs> Well, my man who was on the line, okay, I'll go more than five miles an hour, but not much more. It's six, <laughs> seven. Uh, here's Jill, PK. Yes, I've seen people try to get in front of snowplows. No. Yep. They don't, they, don't, they don't race them. You do not race them. No. But be, being behind a snowplow is where you want to be. Tell me about it. I was behind a snowplow, and I was well, happy about it. it doesn't make any it. sense that you would try to get in front of them. It's not a big they rig. Were, they were getting on the freeway, and they just, like, slow down. No. But they didn't do it. They punched it. No, I don't believe it. Well, you're calling me a liar, and I'm not. You're wrong. I'm not calling you anything. I'm calling myself <laughs> a doubter. Josh says, uh... What the hell, guys? That's a Christmas song. That can't happen. Tell PK that absolutely is a Christmas song. It's not, you no, are it's misplayed during the Christmas me. season. It is. It, there's no reference to Christmas. You're walking See, in a winter wonderland. Okay, but suppose you live in Miami. They don't have freaking Christmas. Suppose you live in my hometown, Phoenix, Arizona. You don't have Christmas. That don't make no freaking sense. I celebrated many Christmases in Phoenix, Arizona, and I did not walk or traverse in a winter wonderland at all. It was cacti as far as the eye could see. Cacti. Saguaros. Indigenous to the southwest, specifically Arizona. That's it. That's the only place you can find them. You're just tacking on words there at the end. That was great. <laughs> Essentially, that's all talk is, is tacking there on words. There it is. Indigenous if you break it down addition. to its nutshell, this is not Winter Wonderland. And I have, you got, you two live on Twitter. I have gone on Twitter and proclaimed it as fact. And the government could, they did not ban me because they knew I was right. I had evidence. There's no reference to Christmas. 
So who said that? Who just sent that in to you? Uh, hold on, I had moved on. Joaquin? Josh Williams. Lakeisha, you're all wrong. Josh. It is not a Christmas tune. Specifically, it's miscast. Question of the morning. Utah Jazz, winners of 19 out of 20. Who do you think, if anybody, is playing below or above his capability? Well, I think you have to look at Jawan Morgan when he came in a few weeks ago. Man, I didn't see that coming. Richard says, ignoring PK, as far as balancing scoring and running the offense, I think Donovan's wearing thin with Conley out. While he's gotten his average points, his shooting efficiency hasn't been great for a week or so. That said, his assists, his ability to involve the other guys is great. That's not going to change. He made an emphasis. He said that specifically. It's something I need to work on. So he called himself out, put himself on public record, basically. So, of course, he's going to be better than that. He's 24 years old, wearing thin, 24 years old. He could throw the football over that mountain and not even have an arm soreness. Thanks, Uncle Rico. (laughs) Come on. He's 24 years old, man. Are you kidding me? You should have seen me so buff with chest hair. Oh, stop, stop. Talk about the jazz. When I was 24. Oh, my gosh. The amount of women who flocked to me. Oh, man. Holy freak did I have it going on then. This got wildly uncomfortable. And you can only imagine what Donovan Mitchell's got going on on the basketball floor at 24. Wearing thin? Well, the shooting efficiency when the five games Conley has missed, he's only shot 50% once. Shot 43 or worse the other four games, including three of them down in the 30s. And they're 5-0. and oh. Yes, they are. <laughs> and how many of those have they been sweating out at the final buzzer? They did have a game they didn't win by double digits. They only won by eight in Indiana. What was Jordan's percentage? Today's his 58th birthday. Oh, I think it was 33. I think it was 15 of 45. You can go look it up, but I'm pretty sure he's 15 of 45. And what do in we remember? In game six, he made the last two shots. <laughs> so he is 13 of 43. But see, that goes back to my point about LeBron. Like, you can't let them get within sight of the finish line. Locke said something that stuck with me. LeBron, uh, Jordan, any of the game's great. You can plug in other guys, you know, Duncan, whoever. Uh, If you let them get within sight where there's only a few possessions they need to dominate, they can do it. And I remember uh, Locke saying, you know, if the Jazz are going to beat the Bulls, they need a 10-point lead going to the fourth quarter. Because that's too much for Jordan. He's not going to make that many plays to, to come back from 10 down in the fourth quarter very often. So, but, if you, but if you have a three-point lead going to the fourth quarter, or if you're down three, no, he can see the finish line. He's going to make enough plays. He's, he's going to get him the win. Okay, then that's all well and good. But you give me one possession, game seven, against the Lakers for the Jazz, I'm taking it right now. Absolutely. Who gets Where the, do I sign? Who gets the ball? <laughs> Is doesn't it Lake, matter. Lakers have the ball down one? I don't one, care. Or Jazz have the ball down one? Doesn't matter. You just want it to come down to one possession? You want it to be that close? That's how confident I am in the Jazz succeeding in that situation. I think their defense can rival anybody's. That, I don't think, that's I don't think where people the, are going to go running to the basket because the draft is going to be there. And who's going to want to do that? You're not going to, A, you're not going to get the call. They swallow the whistle in those situations, mm-hmm. and we can debate whether that's right or not forever and ever. But that's like debating whether BYU should have the honor code. It's ridiculous. They're always going to do it. I don't care who you are. So you take away that. You, you 
the refs will take away the rim, basically. Plus, Gobert will take away the rim. Now you've got to hit a perimeter shot. I like my chances. Offensively, I've got Mitchell, who guard him with LeBron. Fine. I've taken I've taken LeBron out of it then because Mitchell doesn't even need to touch the ball and you can be successful there. Because I got Conley can do his thing. I got I, so many guys can do that. Do I, do I have uh, Clarkson in there? Who's stopping him? LeBron can't guard everybody. So, yeah, I absolutely 100% sign off on that very situation in which I just said. Win or offense or defense, I don't care. See, this is weird because now you're flipping the argument. Because you said you said <laughs> earlier, I, you said earlier. I said the Jazz, and I didn't say, and I imply it was implied, but it wasn't said. Offensively, they have an answer for whatever defense throws at them. Uh-huh. And you said they don't have an answer for LeBron. And then I that's where it. see that's where in the one possession that would really I think that should really worry Jazz fans. You you don't want to give a guy like that one possession. Okay, but that really means you've won three ball games then if you're in Game Seven. Yep. It's true. But if so you win you, them by double digits. Oh, jazz fans, go up, put out on a poll. Rally around me. Get on our app. Do the thing you do on Twitter. Uh, do a, don't send the text. We don't have that. And I, I was proven right on that. And you two mocked me and scorned me for years for not memorizing the text line. Six, four, and six, I was three, right. <laughs> I was right. I said, Keyword I'm not going to memorize this because it's not going to stay forever. And I was right. And you two, yous were wrong. Wrong, and I was right. And here I'm gonna be right again. Game seven, it's t- you are up one, down one. It doesn't matter, offense or defense. How many Jazz fans sign up for that against the Lakers right now in the Western Conference Final with the NBA Finals just that close? A championship. This is within the realm. Every single Jazz fan on the face of the earth, including Jupiter, Mars, and Pluto, would say, yes, it's exactly what I want. (sighs) PK needs a break. DJ and PK, uh, we got more of your, your feedback, more of your predictions, more of your analysis, more of your answers to the questions coming up. Uh, Josh says, due to its seasonal theme, Winter Wonderland is regarded as a Christmas song. That being said, never let this happen again. Laughing, crying. You can leave regarded as a Christmas tune. That's the point. <laughs> I'm going to play it again next break. I'm doing nothing but winning. It. You are stubborn. I am winning like crazy today. You are stubborn. Do you want the Barry I feel Manilow like version? Trump at an impeachment trial. How about the Lone Star version? Brad Paisley. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. The Jazz are becoming that showpiece. The Jazz are becoming the party. Everybody barbecues a bunch of stuff and gets together for the Super Bowl, and it's a lot of fun because it's the show. That's what the Jazz are becoming. It's an event now. It's an event. Must watch TV. They play a style of basketball that not only is winning a lot of games for them right now, but, you know, the old pick-and-roll, boring Jazz teams that won a lot of games, but some people across the country, it's just boring basketball. This is not boring basketball. Yeah, back to the basket, dribble the clock out, take the yeah. shot. That's not, that is not this team. I mean, crank in 40 to 45 threes a game. That's going to get people's attention really quickly. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision's New Year's special continues through February. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of the month. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com. Question of the day. Jazz fans, winners of 19 of 20. Is anybody playing above or below their level? Big Strange Football says Nyang is playing above his ability. Not sure I buy that. A little bit. A really? little bit. He's, yeah. not, he's not just improving uh, kind of along the path that we've seen you know, Joe Ingles traveled before that. Royce O'Neal traveled before that. This is a guy who's getting better. I mean, actually, Rudy too, but Rudy was drafted. The other guys, you know, overlooked, found. Well, Rudy would say he's overlooked too, but you get the point. They weren't for, you know. I can buy it to a degree what you're saying, but it has been a substantial improvement then. I love the way he puts the ball on the floor. Yep, yep. Totally and gets agree. in, uses, he's got a big body. And uses it. He came in the league as a three-point shooter, so him hitting three-point shots, no surprise. But find other ways. He can contribute in other ways now that I don't know that he was able to do or didn't do. Maybe he was able but didn't do. <clears throat> didn't have the opportunity, whatever it might be, whatever the circumstances were. But now I view him, like, like I said, like a little mini Jokic. Very small, so don't go crazy. I'm not comparing the two. But Jokic looks small. I'm not small, but looks slow and... You know, he has all sorts of moves. He's like Olajuwon and McHale with the footwork. Well, I mean, I'm not comparing Nayang to any of those guys, but on a small scale, he uses his body to get off a shot in the lane, and he's close to the bucket, and maybe he could do that before, but I hadn't seen it as much, and now it's not a surprise if he does that. So he can come in and score 10 points, and it's not going to be, or nine points, it's not going to be on three threes. I think it stood out a little bit, too, because I do think the team with the back-to-back and the three games in four days and being a little shorthanded, I think that we've seen the three-point shooting slump as a group, and I think it's fatigue, and I don't think he's been impacted, so I think he stood out a little more. And I don't think he's impacted because he just doesn't play as big a minutes. You know, it's, it's one thing to go through that schedule when you're playing 28, 32, 34 minutes. It's another thing to go through that kind of schedule if you're playing, you know, 12 or 15 minutes. Uh, Jeff says the best thing about this stretch is I don't think anyone has had to carry the team. Everyone's had different games where they've been the guy. Even our 8-9 eight and, eight and nine guys have had games where they've been the spark. And I think that's why the answer to this is largely no. We've nitpicked a couple things, but I think the answer is largely no. Because, guys, you know, Ingles has a 27-point game one night, but the next night he's right back at 14. It's not like he's been rattling off 24 and 27 one after another. He certainly has not done that. I don't know. That he's, I guess maybe he's capable if he took enough shots, but that'll never happen. So there's no point in discussing that. You know, I could make a case, and this is actually a positive, not a negative, <clears throat> that Mitchell is playing a little bit below what he's capable of. Yeah, I and think that's you're right. Great. Yeah, right. It's good to know he has another gear. Yeah. Because uh, the shooting percentages have been down. We had a listener who... Uh, yeah. Who called our attention to that, and uh, and he's right. You know, there have been uh, three of the last five games he's been below 40%. He's only been over 50 once. And, and I think of him as a guy news. who should, yeah, who's probably going to shoot about 40%, give or take a point or two, about 40% from three and about 45% overall. 
So, yeah, if he's down, he'll have the up and he'll get back to who he is. You know, your uh, your baseball, you know, 280 hitter analogy. If you're a 280 uh-huh. hitter yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're hitting 215, well, you're going to have a hot streak. And if you're a 280 hitter and you're hitting 320, you get some 0 for 4s in your future. Yeah, I think the good thing about Mitchell is he's the one guy that stats are somewhat irrelevant and yeah. he's going to be judged by winning mm-hmm. and he's going to be judged by winning plays. Yep. That's I said that why I think that I would take that situation and I'd love to hear what Jazz fans have to say and I I know it's just messing around and running out of gas on purpose and all that stuff but uh, in in a serious vein I would love to see the Jazz in that situation where they're up one down one let's just go up one or no excuse me go down one uh, <clears throat> with 24 seconds to go game 7 against the Lakers I really like their chances because I believe Mitchell's clutch. I really do. I could argue, and he's just barely getting started, so it's a useless argument. I, but I could argue he is as clutch as any jazz player has ever put on a jazz uniform. And there's so much more to be done that it's sort of pointless to make it. But I believe in him. My point that I'm making is <clears throat> I have a lot of faith. Knowing that most guys, Kobe, Magic, MJ, whoever they might be, they're going to miss shots in those situations. It happens. The greatest of the greats miss a fair amount of shots. So that's going to happen. But I believe in Mitchell's clutchness at the highest level, even though we haven't seen it. So maybe my belief is more faith than actual proof at this point. But I just believe it. I believe he has. A, he's a kid from the East Coast. You know, I love those people. I believe they've got stones for whatever reason. I think they were born with them, and they can develop them too. And so I would love for that to come down. Game seven against the Lakers, they're down one with one possession to go because I believe Mitchell can find a way. And maybe it's just simply as a decoy and somebody else makes a shot. You know, Jordan on his today's his 50th birthday, and we saw the huddle to Kerr. I'm th- they're doubling me. Stockton's doubling me, and I'm throwing you the ball. And basically the underlying tone was, hey, you bleeper, you better make this shot. Hmm. And I'm I'm bestowing confidence on you and in you to make that shot. And I think that played a factor in Kerr making that shot. Now Mitchell doesn't have that cachet yet to do that, but I believe that he has the ability to get it done. So I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. And I believe most Jazz fans would agree with me to the tune of 75-80%. Mm, I, I'd even think it'd be higher than that. I think there've been a lot of games where we've well, seen. Now they haven't been the highest level, so that's where you're going to get a little bit of pushback. Uh, but there have been a lot of games where we've seen Donovan Mitchell either not score uh, and, and maybe shoot very little in the first half, or not score and shoot a lot in the first half and just be cold. You know, I mean, two for ten at halftime, and then come alive in the second half of the fourth quarter. And that's happened yeah, so think- much. It, and it's different, you're right, if you're in a Western Conference Final and you're doing it. And he hasn't been in a Western Conference Final, so it hasn't happened yet. You know, he's won one playoff series, and, you know, the Jazz and this Quinn Snyder, Rudy Gobert, Joe Ingles, you know, they've won two. Uh, but they won one the year before Donovan got here, yeah. and they won one his first I think year. what you're miscounting is I can't tell you the number of commun- various forms of communication I've gotten over the years. I can't believe I'm saying this. I agree with PK. <laughs> so there's going to be a fair amount just because i say it and i'm have a rough exterior and all this stuff we all know who i am that people are going to disagree with me just because in the way i present it right and And i've also learned over time that if people want to disagree with me they just blame you 
which, yeah. by the way, I have so no problem So if you with. said it, it would be 85%. <laughs> I say it, it's not going right. to be because I say it. But the people, and I say it in an aggressive manner in your face. The thing is, if I say it and people disagree with it, they go, that PK, what a blow. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. So people are reluctant to agree with me, but I think if they can step back and look at the message, I believe there's a, a an enormous amount of faith in Mitchell. I believe there's I think, a ton of belief. I think Jazz fans, uh, A, respect, and B, love Donovan Mitchell so much that they are willing to see, agree with you if necessary. I think it's beyond the love, though. I mean, the reason why the love is there, and yeah, he comports himself well and all that stuff. I think it's just the belief that this guy has it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's that it factor that we talk about with quarterbacks. And I think that it's there with Mitchell. And they believe in him, even though he's probably going to miss that shot in that situation more than you make it, because that's just the way it is. But they believe that... He has that ability, and it just seems like that. He's rarely frazzled. Standing there against one of the greatest legends the game has ever known, certainly one of the greatest characters, and he just stood there and took it from Shaq and just, all right, and just, <laughs> and just rolled it. And like, basically, it was Mitchell. Mitchell's this little dude figuratively and uh, literally compared to Shaq, and he just – he basically brought Shaq down to size. Shaq didn't know what to do. He was somewhat tongue-tied, and he's always got something to say. And there was awkward silence. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's, that was remarkable, that the way he did that. He played that so well. And I believe that that's the love factor. But the respect factor is the kid is a baller. Give me that situation. Game seven, down one against the Lakers in the Western Conference Final. Now that I say it, 97% of Jazz fans would sign up for That's that. That's what I'm talking about now. Now you're moving in the neighborhood. I'm thinking exactly. 90 plus. Uh, Jake and Coon. believe tw- Mitchell would succeed. Jake Coon tweets at us, uh, What I love about this team is that I never cringe when anyone comes off the bench. Faves, Niang, JC, Joe, all good. Nine deep, he believes. <laughs> you're, you're, okay. you're, you're looking for a weakness. You're looking, where can I make a dent in this argument? <laughs> we could all hear it as you sucked on your lip there. Well, I was trying to go back, you know, because if you're the eighth, nine guy, Am I cringing because I'm only expecting you to be in there for a few minutes? I think they play eight yeah. guys pretty big minutes. Um, you know, Favors. Uh, maybe Favors and Niang, I guess, in terms of minutes would be guys eight and nine, right? Because Favors is rarely playing. Occasionally, it depends on the opponent and the matchups, but he's rarely playing alongside Rudy. So he's mostly getting he is, the minutes this Rudy go-around. is out for. Yeah, in this go-around, right. Okay, I'm I'm fine with that. There's not an so those are guys eight and nine. Favors does what he does. I think Clarkson what he signed up for. Clarkson and Ingles play pretty big minutes. Uh, They play about half the game. Yeah, which I think is big enough. I always thought if you're playing 24 of the 48, you have enough opportunity to make a, a significant impact on the game. Those are enough minutes for you to really impact winning. You know, 10 you can argue isn't 15. Maybe depending on the given game, but 
consistently half the game, 24, you have an opportunity to make your impact. And those guys have. There's no question. Joe Ingles, I assume he'll come on tomorrow because they play tonight and play Friday. And he's this guy's been he's kept his commitment in a manner that I want to hug him, but I don't want him to let him know too much that I appreciate him. Uh, but he's playing the best ball he's ever played. He won't address it. I tried a couple weeks back. He sort of blew me off because that, that's his style. I, I think tomorrow, especially if they win tonight, and my gosh, if we're ever Jazz fans, it's always Wednesday night when they play. <laughs> well, I've so told, we I've told Joe. him, Joe, I need you to shoot it well, and I need you to win because you're way more fun after a win than a loss. It's not even a close call. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they're so letting the Wednesday wins go. Nights, yeah, man. they let the wins go, but they don't let the losses go. It doesn't sound right, you know. After the Clarkson, Clarkson yeah, 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 on yeah, the media yeah. availability, he doesn't do a lot of those. Uh, but he had a forty-point game, so he did one. <laughs> so they picked two or three guys. So most guys, you know, most nights you don't talk to most guys. Uh, uh-huh. But they picked him after the forty-pointer, obviously, and, and he said, um, "I'm thinking about this now, but when I leave here tonight." I let it go. That's my mindset, and it's all it's all next game. It's all Clippers, and you can't say that after a loss. Well, when we let it when we leave here tonight, we let it go. <laughs> you know, you, you can't say that. It doesn't sound right. Although in the NBA, they have to do that. But I get your point. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I think I'm going to ask Joe: Are you playing with the most confidence that you've played with? Now he's so reluctant to talk about himself. Ask him. Tell us about Jordan Clarkson. He'll go on for an hour. Yep. Oh, and he'll give us good stuff. The first time I talked to Jordan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he told yeah. me. <laughs> that was a great story. Right. Yeah. Uh, five seconds you on the clock. The, just give me the ball. I'll get a shot up. Okay. So, someone's got yeah. a high, well, Joe high opinion. Uh, yeah. Well, he's yeah, right, it worked. Man, he, he was right. Yeah. yeah. That was the amazing thing. I don't know what, what's more amazing, that he said it or that it's actually true. I think that it's actually true. Well, depending on, you know, the way he said it. Yeah, it's like, hey, if you get in a bind, man, I want you to look for me, because you know you probably don't know a whole lot about me. You haven't necessarily studied me, you haven't played me that much, but I, I I believe I can get the shot. You know, if he says it that way, and really anyway, if he says it with all sorts of cockiness, even better. Now that I think about it, say it say it however you want, JC. I've got no problem, uh, because the more confident and cocky you are, probably the better you are. And I believe you have to have that. Every great player has have a le- has just had cockiness, and cockiness is viewed negatively. But when manifest the right way, it is not. It's the actual skill that you want to have. I don't know if it's a skill. Maybe a trait is a better word. It's the trait that you want to have. You want your guys. You want Jordan, who's sucking, to have the audacity to take the last shot. That's good. You don't want him to be timid. Rice says, I think the minivan is shooting below his usual numbers, but his defense has been pretty good. So that's a little, uh, he's worse over here, he's better over there. Who did you say, the minivan? Is that what you said? Yep, the minivan. George Niang. Shooting below yeah, man, his I don't usual. know what the number. I don't care what the numbers are, man. <laughs> I just go with the eye. And to me, Yang's coming in, and he's having an impact. So what they're asking him to do in a limited capacity, he's doing. I'd like him putting the ball on the floor, finding Rudy for lobs, finding himself with a little jump hook or a little uh, eight-footer yeah, in the yeah. lane. I like right. it. I, I think it makes you a lot harder to guard. You know, guys get caught. Like, am I supposed to go help on him or not? And 
Yeah, I think it messes. I think it messes with. Well, the, the closer Niang is to the bucket, the better he's going to shoot. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, coming up 20 minutes away. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. The Jazz remain red hot. They've won 19 of their last 20 games. Jordan Clarkson is just such an incredibly important part of this team. He's instant scoring. He changes the dynamic of the game. He's an impossible matchup for the other team, and he had it going. He only took 20 shots to get 40 points in 29 minutes, which is pretty incredible. I love what we heard from Jordan Clarkson. He's being himself. Yeah, I'm just coming in, doing what coach is telling me to do, and what my teammates trust me to do, and take shots and try to make plays. I think my role is who I am. And he's doing it at a level beyond anything he's done before. He's essentially been unbelievable to be who he is. And this is really one of the great coaching moves I've seen in a long, long time. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, joins us in the next segment. Right now we've got you folks weighing in on the question of the day with the Jazz. Having won 19 out of 20, who do you think, if anybody, is playing below or above their capabilities? And we've got people uh, weighing in here with uh, lots of responses. Uh, Niner Youth says, that's what's so crazy about this run. No one is doing anything that would be considered above their capability. They're all just gelling so well as a team right now and playing very unselfish basketball. Yeah, I agree with the latter, but when Clarkson scores 40, that's above. Yes, that one game is. Yeah, when you're only two points off your career high, you're playing above your level. And you're doing it in not even 30 minutes? But I think that people were taking the bigger picture. I think everyone would agree that. But I think when you phrased it, you know, with them winning 19 of 20, they were looking at the 20-game stretch. Okay, if you judge it, literally on a 20-gamer, but if you take it individually, I think we've had guys play better than I thought. I did not think Joe Ingles at 33 was going to play this well. Yeah, he was the first one I went to. You know, it's just he's shooting the ball just off the charts right now. You're not really surprised by his passing, are you? I mean, aren't you no, more awesome surprised? Right, and I think he'll always be able to pass. You put him in a scramble, and he's going he's gonna to know who the open guy is. His instincts are incredible. Mm-hmm. So you're really talking that. about his shooting. He's shooting the ball at a very high rate. Yeah. It, it's amazing as I look at Joe, one of the great stories that we have in sports, and we've said this a million times, we're about stories, you and I and all of us in our business. And it's amazing to me, that it wasn't seen by an NBA team until he was 27. Why? I don't know why. (laughs) What was going on there? Maybe he wasn't as good. I don't know. I never heard of Joe Ingles until the day they signed him, to be honest. And now I'll never forget him. I have eternal love for Joe Ingles. The day he retires and goes off to Australia, I'm going to be sad. In all sincerity, I'm going to be sad. Yeah, I believe it. And we all are. If he makes a few more free throws, he'll be a 40, 50, 90 guy. And those are really, really hard numbers to hit. 40% from three, 50% from the floor, 90% from the line. Steve Nash got nothing on him. (laughs) Steve Nash. 
<laughs> on the short list of 40, 50, 90 guys. It's not a long list. And Joe's not there because he's 87.9, basically 88% of the I'll, I'll take it. But he's close. It. And good luck if he gets it. Great if he gets it. But if he doesn't, I'll take it. I'll take 80, 88% from the free throw line for anybody. So I think he's played a little bit above his capability. And the great thing about it is at times, many of these guys have, I sound like Gordon, at times, mm-hmm. that uh, who's it going to be tonight? It, 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 you could look back, and I'd have to look back at every box score to can I make an argument that it's 19 out of 20? Has there been one player just about every game who's done better than expected? The flip side is that there's probably guys every game who've done worse. I mean, Bogdanovich really hasn't taken off consistently. He's had moments, but I thought he'd be a little bit better. But I don't care that he isn't a little bit better because it's not necessarily necessary. And very few times do you have things that aren't necessarily necessary. Stack them up. Let's go. (laughs) Use the word necessary as many times as possible. We're not, I'm not reading any more tweets that don't have the word necessary in them, people. So if you plan on tweeting at us, put the word necessary in there. I'm not I told you it. my brother-in-law, the uh, Hall of Fame soccer coach in Arizona, mm-hmm. was the PA announcer for Cactus High School football, and I used to help him spot. And he did read something about you need – they are doing a raffle or whatnot, and he meant to say uh, you need not be uh, – not necessary to be present mm-hmm. to win – and he said, you need not be necessary. Everybody in the stands <laughs> looked back at him. <laughs> What's going on up there? What just happened? <laughs> and I thought, great, I got a, this is my best chance to win because I've never been necessary. <laughs> I'm spotting for a PA guy. <laughs> uh, we got a couple people here who are with you on uh, the bogey shooting. Uh, Braden, bogey's playing below for sure. Greg, bogey definitely playing below his capability. JC seems likely to cool off, but he may be the flamethrower who can keep it going. And he, he used the fire emoji instead of that, but well done. Bogey shooting below for sure, Nate says. That's the one everyone's defaulting to. But I'm wondering if that's a byproduct of having four shooters out there and having seven shooters out on the team uh, that – it sort of led to his decline in that way. And as long as you're winning games, who really cares? Well, I guess it depends on, on the decline. If you want to say that he's not scoring as many points as he did well, he's not. Uh, a year ago, I would say the big factor in that is that there are so many three-point shooters out there. There's always yeah. four three-point shooters on the floor. Uh, they've upgraded that. Uh, but the efficiency, you know, if you don't have to shoot as often, you can pass up the questionable shots and just keep the wide open stuff. You'd expect the numbers to go up. And, you know, he, this month he's shooting below 40%. And I think and we all think that he's, out of 20. he's a better – he, I know, right? He's a better shooter than that. Right. But to your point, you know, who can, who can do better? I mean, he's at 39.4 for the year. He's not that far off of 40%. 39.4. Right. But if you look up in a couple weeks and he's shooting 43% from three, I think most of the fans are going to say, well, of course he got on a hot streak. Okay, he was but a little at blow that extent, he was doing. though, will then somebody else come back? So it's it'll flush out. It, it None of this stuff matters as long as you win. 19 or 20, right? Just keep doing yeah. what you're doing. I don't care. At all. And if Bogey gets better and somebody else 
slips a little, but you still win. Take it. Doesn't take matter. It to the bank. It's all about winning. Yep. It's yeah. And so if they go, uh, what, uh, thirty-eight and two over forty games. I'm pretty sure everyone's going to take that. <laughs> you know, and I want to tell you right now, that's stupid. They're not going to do that. But after they won 11 in a row and lost the game, I think I was blathering on something about how they're not going to win 11 in a row. And they may not, so I may be right, but they've come close enough I don't really feel all that right. Well, we'll have to see. I don't know that I'd ever pick anybody to win 11 in a row. Right, exactly. In the NBA. I agree. So That's many, what I was saying about eight yeah, wins I ago. I get your point, and it was fair at the time. It was oh, a lot. It was what you are. It's logical, and you're the ultimate logical man. So I understand that. But the thing about Bogdanovich is he'll be able to tell his grandkids wherever he's going to live on this planet, probably somewhere overseas. I was part of the greatest play in jazz history. <laughs> that behind the back pass got it started. O'Neal, I will memorize that play. O'Neal. To go to Bogdanovich, Bogdanovich in the air, feet not on the ground, mm-hmm. back behind the back pass to Mitchell. Mitchell curls it like it's a freaking softball. Wait, and he looks for a second, and then he guns it. When have you ever seen a baseline opposite baseline Nobody. pass? Nobody passes corner to corner. Two things happen. The rim is in the way, and there's usually a big guy close enough that they're gonna they're gonna get a deflection on that. There's too many big guys on the baseline. You yeah, maybe it hits the net. Any number of things. Yeah, you hit a left hander in stride, and so he catches the ball on his left side. Doesn't even bring it down below his neck. The accuracy of the pass had John Stockton nodding like, okay, I approve. That that would that pass was on the money. Hit him. I've right never in seen rhythm. that play. Never. Right. That's the greatest play in Jazz history. Not the most impactful. Impactful. Not the biggest shot. No, none of that stuff. But it is the singular greatest play in Jazz history. Well, <laughs> the only other one you can come is that baseball pass that Stockton had to Malone in yes, the finals. Yes, there it is. There it is. That's the one I was going to. A pass so good that it made the Jordan documentary, and it wasn't the Bulls doing something well. And you will but I've seen game. that play before. You have. You have seen 70-foot baseball passes. And it was on the money, parachuted in. But that one's on every highlight reel with the great Well, he moments. hit Malone in stride, yeah. and Malone makes Just the catch, turns, up. and scores in yeah. one motion. It and was, that's great. It was but flawless. Did, they had uh, and, the heat. And it was, and it was stocked into Malone. The I mean, Heat was, had that. Yeah, they're the fun, famous right. combo. The Heat had that. Who was it? Uh, was it Wade to LeBron or LeBron to Wade? Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing. Yep. So we've seen. I've never seen that play. Two cross court passes and baseline to baseline hit a left hander who's moving. He's not standing still. That's the greatest play I've ever seen. DJ and PK coming up next. Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, former BYU assistant coach, is a member of Rick Majerus' staff at the U as well. And I'm going to ask him about uh, Jordan Clarkson and the one thing Jordan Clarkson has done that I could not possibly have predicted. And we will do that next. Stay with us.
DJPK brought to you part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision's New Year's special continues through February. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of the month. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com. Tim Lacombe joins us right now. Tim, good morning. Good morning, my good dear friends. You're a music guy. Winter oh, some Wonderland. Would say, some would say. You're right. Winter Wonderland. Winter song or Christmas song played during a blizzard in February. Is that acceptable, yay or nay? Yes, Christmas yes, song, yes, yes, no. Yes, 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 yes. Not yes, acceptable. Yes, yes. It's miscast as a Christmas tune. I pray that I'm on your side, DJ. Yep. Well, you need to pray harder, buddy. <laughs> I was fine oh. with Yach. I was fine with Yach playing it since I, since I'd driven through a foot of snow to get to the station. It was a winter wonderland, and it does not what have to be. Say? That's a Christmas song. It no, does not have to be Christmas. It is not limited. It's cast as a Christmas tune. It is not limited to Christmas in my book. It is a snow song. Are you listening? Right. Or yeah, you're right. exactly. Or you it's can. It's a winter wonderland, but yeah. it is associated. There's an association with Christmas that right. probably shorted the uh, the guy that wrote it out of a lot of quid. <laughs> Way to reduce it to it money. Stereotyped him, man. Right. Very limiting. Two weeks before Christmas. Very limiting. So as a former college coach who has been to I don't know how many high school and AAU games and watched guys who had one skill that was decent but too many other things they couldn't do and wouldn't do, even though their high school or AAU coach told them, how about you add this, how about you do this. And as a guy who probably talked to a guy who was 11th man on the team who wanted to be a starter but didn't alter his game – I'm wondering if you are as impressed uh, slash amazed by Jordan Clarkson as I am. Because when I see a player who takes guys off the dribble the way Jordan does, I'm assuming he played a lot of one-on-one and a lot of two-on-two at the age, not just a 17, but probably 13 and maybe 9, and has so much confidence in that that if a coach in the NBA goes to him and says, that's great, I don't want you to totally lose it, but three is more than two, and we also think you're a pretty good catch-and-shoot guy. And when I look at his numbers go from taking a couple threes a game to where he's taking five or six a game, I think that's a pretty significant transformation, and you have to give that player credit for being coachable and having a high basketball IQ and realizing what he's being told and why he needs to adjust. Can you address how rare it is and how many times you banged your head against the wall trying to say something like that to a guy who didn't hear, and Jordan deserves credit for being the outlier who did hear and did adapt? Yeah, so I think that the, the, the biggest thing in this to me is, you know, kind of the, the way, you know, the, the way that it's talked about is that there was discussion about his shot chart. And, you know, one of the things the Jazz really do well, if you say, what do they do defensively? Obviously, they have Rudy Gobert that affects everything, but they really do, as opposed to getting out in passing lanes, um, you know, they really kind of pack it around him, do a really good job soundly on ball screens uh, to limit penetration, and then they really try to tweak the other team's shot chart and, um, you know, to the to the negative. You know, they want them taking a whole lot of, of pull-up twos, you know, um, and really what they did is they just used that shot chart and said, you know, Jordan, there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of twos in here. We need to cut out of your game. And, um, you know, he, he's almost the perfect experiment of what analytics truly looks like in, in a human form. Because, uh, you know, I think the book on Jordan is like what you said. He's a guy who's getting a bucket no matter what. Um, but a lot of dribble and a lot of isolation and a lot of one-on-one stuff. And wherever the shot came from, great. Um, but the way he's tweaked it, and you can see it in games, you know, he 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 really fights the urge to always put it on the floor. He, he still moves the ball when... He still he still moves the ball when needed, but at the same time, he just does a great job of, uh, you know, when it's his turn, rising up and shooting it or driving it all the way to the restricted area and coming up with a way to score. And so, yeah, I, I think I think it a lot of credit goes to Jordan and a ton of credit goes to the staff. So where the Jazz are playing right now reminds me when you guys had Jimmer his senior year. With that in mind, how fun is it to go to work when you're in this situation? Oh, it's so great. Um, I remember, so we had kind of a tradition back then with that staff. We'd go eat Sizzler every Monday. It was just our one day out of the office. We'd go sit around the table at Sizzler, um, and the table we were at, they'd always show the rankings, the rankings that come out on Mondays. And, you know, all of a sudden you'd see your name pop up and you'd be a little higher and uh, then as we were there, you know, ESPN was starting to run stories on us, do stuff on Jimmer. And, um, and everywhere you went, you know, there was a, a buzz. And, and what's funny is I saw that the other night um, in the game against Philly. I mean, Philly was really motivated to play that game, uh, I guess, minus Embiid. But um, they were really motivated to play the, that game because they're playing the best team in the league. And that's part of it. That's what these guys are going to start seeing. I mean, this this deal down in L.A., depending on who they have healthy and who's, you know. But these guys have always, because they're the Jazz, they've always uh, they've always been respected. But, I mean, it's going to be a whole new level now. They're going to take everybody, everybody's best shot because right now they're the top dog. Tim Lacombe joining us here. Uh, what are you going to watch for in these, uh, these two Clipper games here? Given that Paul George is out and Nicholas Batum concussion, he is out, and Kawhi Leonard is questionable, and Mike Conley is questionable. So, said all that. Now, what are you watching for? Well, I think the the most interesting thing in this series to me is going to be what takes place between game the first game and the second game. Um, you know, I think really it's set up like a playoff series would be, where you play a game in that town and you skip a day and you play again, and so that that second game is going to say a lot about adjustments and that sort of thing. Uh, what we've learned this year is you really can never count on uh, guys being at full strength. You know, there's been a ton of injury and then you've got COVID and everything else on top of it this year. So uh, you almost just have to go out. You know, this one area I'm knocking on wood. The, the Jazz have, have been relatively healthy. I missed Donovan for a few games, Joe for a few games, Faves. Um, and, and now Mike, you know, for a significant stretch here. But the key to it is they've had guys step up. Your guy Joe Ingles has been unbelievable in the stretch. Um, with Mike out, I feel like Joe's just stepped in and managed everything beautifully. Uh, I, I don't think anybody can talk about Joe being, uh, you know, passing up shots anymore. I think his aggressive aggression level has been awesome. But, but 
those those games in LA will say a lot. Um, I don't know that they're going to say a lot, you know, with everybody if everybody doesn't play. You know, if George doesn't play, uh, we sound like he's out and Batum's out. We'll hear about Kawhi. Um, but the bottom line for the Jazz is just find ways to improve uh, or continue to keep it going. Um, they have made a great stride in the last two weeks about they were not getting the free throw line hardly at all. And that's just another facet that's been added. And they've actually had a couple games now where threes weren't going. They got to the line, um, you know, really good. And Donovan's starting to get there, which I've always kind of wondered why he didn't get more. But hopefully that will, as part of being the best team in the league, that'll, that'll be part of it. But um, that's what I'm looking for this week. I, you know, I, I think people are asking me, what do you expect out of the six-game stretch? You know, the four tough games at home and the two with L.A., and I really said, you know, I think if they could figure out a way to win four or six, um, well, they've already hit the four, and um, and I really, I mean, they're the favorites, favorite tonight, two-and-a-half-point favorite. So, um, you know, just more than anything, look at this from a current standpoint and then what it looks like down the road, uh, you know, should they possibly score up in the playoffs somewhere. How do you explain or attribute the said uh, improvement and stellar play from Joe Ingles? Well, I think part of it is the karma that comes from being with you guys weekly. For sure. I don't think there's, I mean, there's honest to God, no doubt about that because my life's changed. In fact, we should start a (laughs) seminar thing. My life changed the minute I met DJ and PK. (laughs) Okay. Nice Tim. You didn't like me in the beginning. Nobody does, but that's different. It's still, no, I actually, knows you. yeah, I just thought you were kind of, you know, who was actually, I, I thought was really a curmudgeon was DJ. But that's <laughs> that's the story for another day. He's very professional. He just didn't give us any time. He would give me no time. He wouldn't let me in. But once I was out of coaching, he was like, all right, now you can be my buddy. Um, I accepted you from day one, even though it was not reciprocated. Well, I I did have some brain trauma that I had to work through. You were the uh, enemy. I was raised that you were the enemy. I had to sit through those slideshows in Majerus' hotel room. The propaganda films. What was the what was the question? <laughs> Joe's greatness. Why are oh, we Joe, seeing Joe. this? Yeah, no. So, I mean, my take is, you know, a take that got worn out by me last year, but it was to be spot on, which if you hang around me long enough, I'm going to be right at some point. But my my take last year was that Mike Conley was just in a career funk and that it wasn't the end of the road and there weren't rubber off the tires. It was him getting used to being in a new situation. And you guys can attest I said that many times. And I used the term data points. And I talked about data points and how all you got to do is look at this guy's career. The numbers will tell the story. And this is an outlier. This is a an, an adjustment. You know, the one thing that's not constant is the place he's playing and the guys he's playing with. So once he figures that out, it's going to be better. And, you know, in that whole thing, just kind of eliminated the fact that Joe had to make a major change too, you know. Joe went from being a starter in the NBA on a team that he was really, really valuable for as a starter, and he had to go off, you know, figure out a new role. And I never really gave that much thought until, honestly, I, was, I heard him talk about it on your show. And um, he was really candid about it, and you could tell that it was something he had to deal with. So 
I think more than anything, it's getting a lay of the land, getting his feet underneath him. I think it's being reunited with Faves. I think it's the, I think it's the uh, connection he's got with Rudy. I think it's the new instant offense connection he's got with his boy Jordan Clarkson. Um, but being back in the starting lineup for him is a familiar place, and some guys it would freak him out. But Joe's a pro, and um, again, he's one of those guys, if you watch him and you watch him every night, you really appreciate the, the greatness of Joe um, because he's so unassuming and he's, he really does have that attitude where he's so instrumental to the team's success, but he always deflects. And, you know, I think that that's a, a real trait that the, the team's taken on, and I think that it's one that works for everybody. So I agree with a lot of what you said, and you kind of tiptoed into an area that I think gets completely underplayed when we talk about Joe going to the bench. Joe's a pro, but Joe isn't LeBron. He doesn't overwhelm. You know, he doesn't have this uh, this athleticism that it like creates a coaches will say gravity right where it changes everything. Joe's a high IQ basketball player, but he needs guys around him who can play. And I thought when he went to the bench, he was usually out there with two or three guys who, quite frankly, weren't good enough. And PK will back me up on this. I told him from the get-go last year, the bench isn't good enough. The bench isn't good enough. The bench is bad. And to Jazz management's credit, yes, they did sign those guys, but they came to the conclusion the bench wasn't good enough pretty quick. And they made a bunch of— they made that quick move, right? They made multiple quick moves. Joe was—think about it. Emmanuel Moutier was on the bench— Jeff Green was on the bench. Ed Davis was – those guys were all bench guys. And Tony Bradley. And uh, Bradley – so Bradley took Davis's minutes, and then they brought Faves back to take Bradley's minutes, right? Green got right. let go. Moutier got buried and then got let go. Joe – you look at the quality of player Joe was out there. Joe was out there with more guys who can shoot and more guys who could pass. And those guys I just listed had maybe one of those skill sets at a lower level. Uh, I just think they've upgraded the talent around Joe. And when you upgrade the talent around a good, smart player, then that player becomes way better. Uh, totally point taken. I think that that's, uh, that's something, too, that you know we're seeing the benefits of four guys on the floor that can shoot as opposed to, to two and a half or three. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our boy Majerus used to say it all the time. Spacing is offense. And offense is spacing. And it sounds like a... Uh, palindrome, you know, <laughs> but but if there there is real majesty in that phrase, because the only way that true offense works is if you can inherently gain an advantage, and what the Jazz have now is they have prime real estate in the corners and on the wings, and if you're not there to pounce on that prime real estate, it'll sting you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why they have so much room to operate. They can quickly gain an advantage, meaning two on the ball, because guys have to respect their ability to drive it in the in the roll screen roll game. So you're right. You're dead on. Um, Joe is playing with better players, but he's also playing with guys who are multiple you know, threats in, in multiple ways as opposed to just, like you say, Moutier and Green and those guys, there just wasn't that level of respect to give the spacing that Joe needed to operate right. effectively. So Conley so comes back. You, yeah. you just Conley comes back, you just put him in the starting lineup and move Joe out? Yeah, I do, because 
Um, I, I think this team's way past all that. Uh, I, I think it was a deal. It was definitely a deal last year. But I also believe there was way more, you know, inherently Donovan and Rudy were chasing something individually and never gotten. And in, in their case, too, they hadn't really been validated from a, a career payment standpoint. I mean, it's, it's an interesting place to be. Um, you know, you really want to be able to accomplish a bunch of that individual stuff so that it then raises your value. But at the same time, you want to be a good teammate. And it's kind of like the Bible, man. There's times and seasons. And I think the, the time and season for all that stuff's passed. And everybody on this team to a man, and if they're faking it, they're doing a dang good job. <laughs> but they just want to win. And they honestly get a bigger kick out of, like t- the team collectively gets a bigger kick out of Jordan Clarkson having a game the other night like he did. Um, and then tonight, you know, somebody else is going to have a night and they're going to be genuinely happy for them. And that's when you get to a special place, when you can get all that other crap out of the way. And it is a team game in its essence. And people fight that. And when people fight that, that's when teams struggle. But, man, when they adopt it, that you get what we're seeing basketball in Nirvana right now. You know, have we ever seen it this good? Uh, maybe the late nineties and that'd be, I mean, the jazz had, this is a shorter stretch, 20 games, you know, over five years. The yeah. They J- won 30. Yeah. They, the, but the jazz had five years where they were basically winning like 73, 74% of their games over five years. And right. we, and we got, we got kind of numbed by that. Now you can't sustain, you know, 19 out of 20 over five years. Cause nobody's ever done that. Heck you can't sustain that over a season. Nobody's ever done that. Right. So, but but you guys know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, it is. I, I get it. There's yeah. different ways to win, but this team is winning like the optimum way because it's different every night. They're just sound and they're elite in a couple places, and that's what makes it. You know, uh, that's what makes it have some teeth to actually be able to do something deeper down the road. Tim, as always, we appreciate it. And I'm going to hold on to spacing is offense. Offense is spacing. Yeah, and you got to I'm going to like hold that. on. I'm going to oh, hold on that I was raised to be his enemy, or he was raised to be my enemy. <laughs> he had watched so propaganda it, it, it went like this. They put us, you know, when we first got orientation to the basketball program, they stuck us in a dark room. And they put somebody behind us. We couldn't see who it was, but. Then it was that creepy music, and it was like, this is the known enemies of the Utah basketball program. <laughs> kind of a voice like that. Mm-hmm. I got it. Yeah. And the very first screen, you pull it off, and it was Roger Reed. <laughs> and the very next screen, you pulled back, and it was Patrick Kinahan, alias <laughs> PK, known associates, DJ. Uh, yeah, something like that. I, I can't remember all days. the words, but you were – I had to fight some of that mental anguish to, to be your pal. You know, you've just made an enemy right now. I think Gordon Monson is mad that he is at best the third slide. Yeah. Monson had his own – We actually, they had a whole, like, weekend series on Monson. <laughs> you couldn't just cover him in one slide. Uh, okay, now he feels better. No, I like it when they you call him in, Munson, though. <laughs> Munson. They brought in donuts and juice, too. <laughs> He needed snacks to get through that one. 
And you, the funny thing is there was a bunch of people in the beginning, in the early days, who thought exactly like Tim. And almost a, a man, every single one of them, saw the light. There is, uh, you know, it's kind of like understanding that Darth Vader had a really, he did have a heart at the end of the day. We're just buried under a lot of plastic and capes and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> now I see PK rolling into the Huntsman Center in a cape. You go up to, D- to VK, what's going on? Oh, nothing, my friend. Oh. <laughs> All right, Tim, we will let you go on that note, and we will talk to you again next week. We'll hear you on the uh, Jazz Broadcast Clippers uh, Wednesday, Friday, tonight and Friday. Take note, boys. It's really fun. There it is. Catch Tim on the Jazz pre-half and post-game. He is there with Jake Scott before, during, and after every Jazz game right here on the Zone Sports Network. Everything you missed in this show in one segment. Next, stay with us. Murray's quickly across the timeline. Throws it in the paint to Jokic. Layup is up and in. That's 43 for Nikola. Ingram bounce feed to the cutting Williamson. Left baseline, two-hand throw down. Look out. Below. He is dead last percentage-wise as the king goes baseline. Look out below. Lillard will bring it back the other way. He crosses over and drives, goes up off the glass and banks it in. Harden straight on. Three on the way. God! Oh, James Harden has led them all the way back. Nets take a two-point lead with 29.8 seconds to go. Time to catch you up, dude, on everything you missed. PK, that was a heck of a comeback by the Nets. The biggest halftime deficit they have rallied from since they joined the NBA in 1976. Down 24 in the third. And they rally and win. And they do it without Kevin Durant. And they do it without Kyrie Irving. James Harden had a big game. And they got her done. And an epic collapse for the Suns. The kind of stuff that's going to make you turn off the radio. Yeah, they're going to dissect that thing until they're blue in the face, and I'm going to pass on that. <laughs> not not interested. I'll go with the satellite when I go to the gym today. Uh, as I look at the Nets, uh, the, the, to me this says more about the Nets than it does the Suns. Uh, and, I, and I look at the Nets, I think that they're going to have a lot to say before this is all said and done. And I think that uh, Harden, we're going to see James Harden really flourish because, you know, he's known as a high-volume shooter and scorer and all that. But I think inherently he's a playmaker, and he's willing. There's a lot of times where he does the isolation and does the fancy globetrotter dribble and jacks up a three. But I do think that he's the best facilitator they have on this team, and he has the ability to get others involved at a high level. And I think we'll see that. I think we'll see him really flourish. Now, it may maybe not as much this year, although I do think, as I already said, that they'll have a, a significant factor in what goes on in the East. But I think we're going to see the best of James Harden with these other guys going forward. Well, I think that it will help to have a full year and training camp and familiarity matters a lot and all that. But I get your point as far as ability to score and create shots for others. Uh, you, you can argue Durant, I mean, his ability to shoot over people and shoot over people from distance because of his height is phenomenal. So it's hard to say who the team's MVP is on any given night. Uh, those two could kind of pass it back and forth. I do kind of view Kyrie as the third wheel there. and I wonder how happy he's going to be with that as that evolves over time because I think it will. Uh, 
But you don't, don't you think that says something about the Suns, though, blowing that 24-point lead, or it's all about the Nets? Oh, sure, yeah, absolutely. They're, they're not ready to win on a high level. They have Chris Paul, and Booker's a vet now, but other than that, they got a bunch of role players still trying to find their way. So for them, you know, who's to say that? And they've been on a good run here of late, and this is a devastating loss. Uh, but who's to say that it doesn't actually help them in the way that Rudy Gobert said the Nets and Knicks losses hurt? So I know the tendency in the moment, and I do this as much as anybody, so I'm just as guilty, is to bury them when you're in that moment and you blow a 20-some point lead, 24, 24 I think you said, yeah. at home. Uh, and you got you let fans in. Steve Nash had said, there was, he made a funny line, is that they started letting fans in uh, last week a limited number, mm-hmm. and they raised the number. They doubled it uh, last night. And so when they asked Steve Nash about it, he said, oh, well, yeah, that's typical. Sarver's trying to cash in on my homecoming. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> that's good. I didn't hear that. I missed that. Yeah. He meant it somewhat as a joke. But, uh, you know, well, yeah. why not? <laughs> I mean, you're in the business of making money. So, you know, it was a big game, and the Suns are an emerging team, uh, and they had a setback. And so, yeah, I definitely think it says something about them. But I think where they are in the food chain, it's not necessarily a devastating one. I think everybody thinks that or you want your team to be blah, blah, blah. Because, I mean, they still compare themselves. I told you earlier in the season that Phoenix Media was talking about that they could be better than the Jazz. Well, yesterday I listened when I went to the gym. I bounce around and just hit on different things. And they were talking about uh, – the, the the Suns being the hottest team and the other the, and uh, co-host as well. It's actually the Jazz. <laughs> they're they're the hottest team right now. So I don't think this is this loss is for Phoenix is devastating to what they're realistically trying to accomplish. Knowing that everybody wants to win at the highest level right today, particularly when you have a 36 year old point guard and you've sucked at that position for so many years, and now you got a quality player, but he's running out of time. So there's a little more sense of urgency there. And combined with the fact that you haven't been in the playoffs, I think 11 years, and you used to have a model franchise, that adds a sense of urgency. So you throw that all together, and it's panic time. Suns are now 17-10, and 10, tied with Portland for fourth in the West. Portland got the win as the Blazers took down the Thunder, 115-104. Damian Lillard, 31 points, 10 assists. So those two spot on at 17-10. and 10. And Portland's doing this, missing a couple of starters. So when they get those guys back, are they the team that can push and, and see if they can get up with the Jazz and the two L.A. teams and Break away from all well, these teams that are stacked kind of yeah, four through ten. I, I definitely I, I would say McCollum. I, I just don't think Cantor and Nurkic, I don't think there's that big of a difference there. Lakers beat Go ahead. Cantor to me is he's he can give you what Nurkic gives you. But when they McCollum, I mean he's a heck of a player. So yes, I would think to answer your question they can get that fourth win or fourth spot, I should say. Lakers got the win over the Wolves, 112-104. LeBron James, 30 points, 13 rebounds, 7 assists. It was a struggle for the Lakers, but they get her done. They're a game and a half behind the Jazz, two down in the loss column. Yeah, LeBron is just a – he's now becoming a medical marvel in a sense. Uh, People talk about, you know, the greatest foreign player. Uh, Doncic may take that. I'm going to put LeBron in there. He's not from planet Earth. He just can't be. I mean, 36 years old to do what he does and play every game. Every game, man, he's out there. Yep. 
Yeah. And, that, and then there's not even, uh, you know, 18,000 people who paid to go see him play. But yet he's still out there. It's just incredible. Closing in on 50,000 minutes. He's uh, seventh in career minutes played, and he's going to be fourth real quickly because the next three guys are right in front of him. And he'll, he'll go I like his Hall of Fame chances. <laughs> you should. Good call by you. <laughs> Nuggets get beat by the Boston Celtics 112 to 99. And the Nuggets are now 15 and 12, seventh in the West, two games behind the Blazers and the Suns. And sometimes it feels like they're about to get it going, and then sometimes it's not so much. Jokic goes for 43 points, and they still don't break 100, and they get beat by Boston 112.99. Well, Jokic is all that, that's for sure. But right now, I think you have the people that list Dallas as a disappointment, and I'm fine with that. But I think the biggest disappointment in the West is Denver. And it was like, you know, Denver sucked for a good long time. Mm-hmm. And then they got good for a couple years. And then it seemed like they sucked again. And I don't think they're going to be out of the playoff. But I do think maybe they hit a high point these last couple years. And maybe they are on the decline. And this isn't just a slow start or injuries or what have you. This is really who they are. They're okay. But they're not contending for anything serious maybe i'm wrong on that but that's a possibility that i think you need to explore and consider right now did they max out as a two and three seed a team that got to the second round and uh let's see first round they won game sevens consecutive years second round they mm-hmm. split game sevens won one and lost one and then the lakers took them out what was it in in six i think lakers beat last them in year. five or six yeah the lakers beat them in five or six last year in the conference final is that their high watermark? Because it does look like they've fallen back here at the start of this season. Yeah. Maybe it's a little time to develop guys to replace the three rotation guys they lost. See if they can bounce back. Uh, college hoops tonight. It's Utah State and Boise State. The Broncos are 16-4 and overall, and the Aggies are 14-5. More importantly, in Mountain West play, Aggies are in first place at 11-2. Broncos are in second place at 12-3. and three. Percentage points back. This game's on the CBS Sports Network. Scotty G will have play-by-play coverage uh, pregame at 6.30 and tip-off at 7 o'clock. And uh, bad blood, PK. This is uh, football, <laughs> basketball. It's, uh, no, nobody likes the Broncos. They're winning too much. People don't like them. Well, then you have this fan thing. They wanted to move it over to Nampa, to rodeo grounds. I've been over there in Nampa. And uh, so they wanted to put in fans there. But I guess that uh, the conference rule, I thought the conference would make a decision on it, but the conference said that, well, both teams have to agree to move a game. They tried to move it last week against Vegas. No. This week, no. And then they came up with whatever that county is or however they rule it, that on campus there, it's right next to the football stadium, that they could have some fans. So they're supposed to have 900 fans in this arena. I don't know how much of a difference that's going to make. But I do know that uh, if Utah State should sweep this series, then that goes a long way towards winning the regular season uh, crown, I guess. I mean, obviously, Boise State has their crack. The Aggies, for sure. The Aggies, the Broncos, the Rams, and the Aztecs all uh, trying to get into the NCAA tournament. They're going to beat each other up. 
which, as you point out, a couple of wins for the Aggies sets them up for the regular season title and really sets them into the NCAA tournament field. And conversely, any team that gets swept, that has a problem down the stretch, could find themselves on the outside looking in. Yeah, and I think you've got to reward the regular season, especially this year. And, you know, there's been talk who's going to go to the tournament. Gonzano out of Oregon had a thing that says the BYU and Gonzaga are considering not going. Uh, to Vegas, uh, I can understand that. Uh, it's a different situation there, and and how will that affect your NCAA tournament thing? You get a couple of guys who, who knows, either get COVID or get uh, tracing, and I mean, you're gonna miss, you're gonna have COVID screw up your NCAs two years in a row. Nobody wants that. All right, that is what we have been talking about today. When we come back, your feedback coming up. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Sunshine up in Boise isn't glowing Because the Aggies said we won't comply So like their turf, the Broncos are so blue now Cause saying no will always make them cry Kay's getting ready for the big game tonight. Hear it on The Zone. Uh, Wednesday, Friday, it'll be the combo. David Locke will have the Jazz and the Clippers on 97.5, 8 o'clock tip-offs both nights, and 7 o'clock tip for the Utah State-Boise State game on 1280 The Zone, pregame at 6.30 tonight with Scotty G. All right, PK, Jazz have won 19 out of 20. Who do you think, if anybody, is playing below or above his capability? Mercy for others as much as mercy for yourselves, as Boyan can still move up. Playing a bit below... His capability. Don's scoring can move up when Conley has the helm again. No big tweaks needed. 19 out of 20, that's true. Well, we will get to that as far as, you know, who could play better because what cost does it come at? You know, Simmons is going crazy because he scored 42, and, you know, he thinks he owned Gobert and all that stuff. Well, he scored 42 in large part because Embiid was out. And so you lost the game, and, you know, you could only do so much as an individual. But the point being, if you get something more, then what, at what cost to the team? So Because it's about winning. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And then, you know, no tweaks necessary. We had Tim Reynolds, Associated Press. He's been doing that job for a long time. Uh, are the Jazz going to make a move, you know, because the Lakers, I believe the Lakers will make a move. Uh, from what uh, my folks down in L.A. are saying, they're going to try to get a big man, and maybe it's one of these buyout deals that they take on. And, you know, so you, you're you in the position now where, you, you know, you need to be aware of what the both Los Angeles teams are doing because they're direct competition. So does that inspire you to make a move or no tweaks necessary and you just ride it out? Uh, I, that's something that I don't know the answer to. Because uh, you know, right now, if you say, well, just keep what you got, then how do you argue that? Uh, but if you see an opportunity to improve your team and you trust in your management, and Ryan Smith signs off on that, you know, maybe they do make a move. I would think if the Jazz are going to add something, it would be a third big in case, uh, you know, Gobert and Favors have been really resilient this year. But if either one if either one can't go, then what happens when the other one, you know, in the fifteen ish minutes a game that the other guy isn't going to play? Yeah, but you could say that about anything. Why not I, I, can't, I know, but I'm, I'm looking at Mitchell th- and Conley can't go. 
Well, no, but I'm saying that, it, well, if they both can't go, then that's trouble. I'm saying if one well, guy can't, if one of those two can't play, the other one will play 35 minutes. Now, with Mitchell and Conley, you can kind of fill in because Joe can also create. So you've got a third guy for whatever the duty is, you know, running the pick and roll or, or spotting up in the corner or what, whatever it is, you've got a third guy. But with the bigs, you don't. Well, they would argue on that because when Favors left the game, they put in Morgan and he yeah. played. And big is that, you know, you're going back to Swen Nader, big. <laughs> that, well, that, big that now has got to big now yeah. has got to set the screen and roll to the hoop and then protect the rim where possible, or shoot the three. There's plenty of guys who do that now, but the not the way the Jazz does play. that. Yeah, but I mean, so change the if, way they play. I know. Change the way they if play. you have somebody who has that skill, why why would they incorporate that when that's not the big guy's game? So if you have somebody who does that differently. Then you change. That's that's a great thing, you know. Are we looking at Quinn Snyder? A friend of mine texted me about Quinn maybe coaching above his level, and maybe something, you know, that you can't really coach above your level because your level is what it is. But is the Quinn our Quinn and the staff really uh, putting this team in the best position to win? better than they have you know there's something to be said. Ultimately, the players got to do it, and the coach can't make a play, but. Can he or they put themselves to the team in a better position than they have? And you can argue that Quinn Snyder has certainly done that. I mean, maybe it's time to start to ease, pump the brakes on Clarkson in the sixth man because it looks like he's a shoe in there. And around here, these individual awards matter. Start pumping up Snyder for coach of the year. Something to ponder. We'll let Scotty and Hands handle that. We are out of time. They are up next. We will talk to you tomorrow. See you then.